Uh, yeah, we're on YouTube. The, I pressed the, the button, so we'll see if wait, I go live. You want live reaction? Uh, Should I wait? Oh my god, it's gonna ruin the podcast. <laughs> I already know. No, why am I more excited for Passionless than Christmas, actually? <laughs> That's crazy. Alright. Because Santa would never go. let you down. Flash <laughs> yeah. of Watch, episode 161. Here we are with Dante and Jake joining us. And the patch just dropped, so I just rushed to press the buttons so we could actually go live and get their live reaction. Of the new patch notes. Thank you for being here, guys. It is it is very you know tumultuous and very fast paced off season. Thanks for having us. You guys happy to be here. Thank <laughs> you. I'm excited. I haven't done one of these in so long, actually. Me either. Yeah. So uh, we we just got the patch notes up. Do you have the link, Costa? Uh, I don't even have the patch notes up. Yeah, I threw it in the it in our chat. Yeah, yeah, we're we got it. All right. Uh, so yeah, we're just gonna live react because I'm assuming there's some Brodog nerfs in there. Hopefully, maybe some Mercy touches, we'll see. The usual suspects, Mercy did not make the cut of nerves. Okay, honestly, I don't even think Mercy's like... I, 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 think play people, Mercy. I like playing Mercy. Mercy, yeah. yeah. Unless, wait, let me look at the Sojourn. Really? Against the a so with a Sojourn just murdering okay. your entire team? That's Sojourn, that's Sojourn, uh, that's, see, that's not Mercy. I agree. I agree, it's like Ash, when Ash would one hit everybody, it's not that, like, when Ash one hit with the headshot burst, obviously that was broken. But then you could say, oh, like, oh, it's Mercy's fault. But in the end, it's Ash's fault, right? Well, like, Mercy screen. pocketing Soldier 76 is not broken. Yeah. All right. Here we go. We were starting off with the hero update. So uh, we actually got a forum post. Usually they have, like, the pictures of the heroes and everything. But we just got the straight numbers. So here we go. Starting off with Orisa. <laughs> Fortify. Health bonus reduced from 125 to 75. So, all right. You know, a bit of a Orisa nerf, I guess. Don't really think any huge... I think that's that. kind of what? a big deal, actually. Yeah. I think that's kind of a big deal. Okay. Because the health you get from this is like doubled, right? Because you're forted. So it's like a double nerf. And then also it's a CD cycling thing. So like you pop this all the time. And then it's like, I think this matters. A lot of times Arissa will like clutch with one HP because she just is forted and she like takes, and the healing is so efficient on her, right? Yeah. I think it's kind of a big deal. Because when you oh, ult, true. you go fortify. Yeah. So do you get like the health bonus when you ult too? Actually, yeah, know. you do. Okay, okay. So I think I think that's a pretty substantial there. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see if it's enough because, like, I thought yeah. javelin spin was the issue with how short the cooldown was because it just felt like you had that thing up all the time. But like, I'm I'm a plat tank. It's also very obnoxious to play against. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what they would do is nerf CDs, like just one second CD on forward or one second CD on spin. Yeah. I think that would take her in line. But this is. I think I, the dumbest thing about the hero is her being immortal and fortified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, the nerf is fine as long as I nerf Kiriko. Like, you, you just can't play Honor as Un, and like those heroes would just like kill Arisa so hard. Like, you get purple, you're just dead. Like, it doesn't matter. Or you get discorded, you can't walk up. And like all the maps on this map pool are like flat. The only high ground map is Dorado. So it's like on high ground maps you just can't play Arisa because it's like you're just sitting on cart, you're trying to like do nothing when they're just on like on his end on the high grounds. It's like you can't do anything. All right. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to, to diss Marisa's nerf or anything. I just figured with Roadhog <laughs> right here that people were, were way more intrigued about oh, the world changes. So, uh, so here we go. Moving on to Roadhog. Chainhook, the impact damage reduced from 30 to 5. So when you hook someone, like the actual damage of the hook has been reduced from 30 damage to 5. And the enemy final position distance from Roadhog after being pulled has been increased from 3 to 4 meters. So the target you hook is further away from the Rodog. So, some some interesting changes to the hook. 
Which means you don't one hit anymore. I think that's a really big deal. I don't think you one hit anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. no chance. Yeah, the spread is a little bit far there. Um, well, you basically need to hook into your teammates. You can't be alone on Hog anymore. Yeah. Like, unless, I mean, I guess you could hook like certain heroes can't escape you, but like almost every hero in the game is going to live. And in a high level game, everyone's getting saved. Yeah, and they actually they actually comment on that to finish off the roadhog changes. So scrap gun as well. The damage per pellet reduced from six point six to six. The recovery time reduced from zero point eighty five to zero point eight. Uh, reload time reduced from two to one seventy five seconds. So a faster reload, and the maximum ammo has been increased from five to six. So they comment on this. These changes aim to reduce the frustration of dying in one shot immediately after being hooked and pulled by roadhog. Chain hook is still a powerful ability to forcibly reposition enemy players so it will still often lead to eliminations its effectiveness will now be more dependent on specific hero matchups and the hook target is now able to respond so uh <laughs> forcibly reposition enemy players i took that as like oh there's four meters instead of three so it's easier to hook people off the map but that's not really you know <laughs> relevant at all but <laughs> it's still, still something to consider dante have you been playing around with roadhog as the, the tank player you now are <laughs> Um, no, in my opinion, Birdhog's kind of not worth it to grind hard because I feel like in pro play, he's never that strong. Um, and when he is strong, it's like Sombra, it just gets nerfed fast. Like, no one likes playing against him, so it's like not worth putting in the time to grind a hero like that. I think it's more worth to grind heroes like Winston because it's like so it's bad game, are... game theory to 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 the grind heroes that are like boring to play so you against. have to think this way you <laughs> yeah, have to think yeah, this yeah, way actually, right. because because it's it's been true since the beginning that like certain heroes get addressed faster than others then there's like Widowmaker's broken for 10 years you know it's like that's never going to change because it's only broken for pro players like for the literally 100 people in the whole world Widowmaker's broken yeah it's like it's same never going to not be broken like winston's like pretty bad at like low ranks but like he's just op in pro play just because like just like you can do everything i mean you can't do everything but it's like just all around strong hero and also, if Roadhog is like ever meta, I think I'll be like fine mechanically and stuff. So I'll be able like to be middle of the pack and like improve from there. Like, I'm not gonna start from really behind because not like most people don't even play Roadhog, like most OWL players. So it's like I'll start at the same level as everyone else. So I'm not too worried about that. Am I crazy that I feel like we've been down this road with Roadhog before, where like he got really strong and then they just nerfed the, his ability to one-shot people. He becomes completely useless. We forget about him for a year. It's a great blissful year. And then we come back a year later and they're like, we should buff Roadhog again. And we go down this cycle. Like Historically, yeah, this direction has not worked because like you said, he's just unplayable if you can't one-hit. Like you yeah. hit this hook, which is pretty hard to hit and also exposes you heavily to attempt where you just die a lot of times. If you like miss the hook, you actually just die like a lot or, or you get just absolutely melted and then you know you're like out of the fight and you fed a bunch of ult i don't know i part of me wants to believe that if you're like a really good roadhog player which the really like the roadhog one tricks are like actually really good at just shooting you with the gun when they're walking around and like pressuring you and so then like the gun buffs should theoretically make that stronger but these buffs are they're like okay buffs to the gun, you know, like all of them together. It's like a decent thing, but the gun is still so inconsistent. You have to like be so good at it to make it work. Well, actually going down that line of thought, do you think it would be in like, because they said that they're reworking Roadhog. I would assume this is not a rework. This is just like a number change across the board. Do you think he would be better with like a different gun? So like keep his hook. That's like a displacement tool. But then if he had a more consistent gun that maybe had like consistent mid range, he would be a better character. Yeah, I think his mid-range is really tricky to use, actually. And, like, even when you're, like, really skilled at it, it's, like, still pretty inconsistent. 
the, so, the right click is like the roadhog expert thing that's like yeah. the weird really weird gun that's like very unique to use because the the range control is so crucial you know it's like a shotgun but you know teleported in front of you by by 10 feet 10 meters or whatever i remember that from when, like back in the day when i was a roadhog player when it was like omega broken you hook people through pixel cracks and stuff um that was like oh, the, when you could just like right click one top somebody from mid-range it's like that's what made the hero so strong you know yeah but yeah, yeah honestly, the this, hero just is, deleted, is, this hero is like going to the dumpster honestly and i don't even see yeah. people playing it at the high level at least like in ranked almost everyone's playing like ramantra and Arisa. but i think uh, a lot of people are just like no cares playing like just playing heroes they want to practice that's how I, it feels I, right now in ranked. So. I also feel like if Arissa was bad, like if they did fix Arissa, Roadhog would come back. Because I feel like a lot of people were playing Roadhog, but then Arissa was just so good against Roadhog that it felt like you could never pick that hero because then you just get counted off the rip. Yeah, um, I think um, one big issue too is um, Kiriko enables like both of those just way too much. Like Kiriko's like a permapec. Yeah. yeah, like it's so hard to win if you don't have Kiriko, it feels like. Kiriko's still broken hero even after pretty major nerfs. Yeah. I think... It shows that she's like, I think I think her kid is actually just too crazy. Like for it's like a high school kid. It's like a yeah. I don't know what to compare it to. There's no other hero like it. it's like a tracer kid. Maybe it's like a hero you can just constantly take risks on. And like there's not you don't you don't like really take a risk. You take a risk that you have to press a six second cooldown. It, it, it was so funny when the hero came out because uh, you know we were trying to speculate on the podcast, you know, seeing the kit of Kiriko, like, will Kiriko be good or will she be bad? And I think a few of us, I'm just going to speak for myself, you know, usually lean just like, well, I don't know if there's like enough here to like really make her strong. Obviously the ultimate, we're just like, wow, that's a sick ultimate. But um, I think it was someone from Christopher from Lone Spitfire, she's like, well, it's a new hero. So naturally she's going to be overpowered. And we're just assuming, you know, we're not even, we haven't even played her yet, but we're assuming that the hero is going to be nuts and just super overpowered because it's the newest hero in the game. Um, and here we are, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, <laughs> had a tremendous impact on the meta. So um, yeah. I guess there'll be some changes to Kiriko down below. I haven't scrolled through the patch. Like I'm literally showing the patch through the stream. So I haven't seen what's next, but I'm assuming there's something there in a way. He um, doesn't know. I don't know. I literally don't know. Um, so it's worth saying that we are competing <laughs> with our live stream here, <laughs> with the, the actual Twitter space going on with one of the uh, Overwatch designers on, you know, the reasons why they made some changes. And we had someone from the, uh, from the chat, Yugen, say that the Overwatch devs said that they are looking on ways to add more team utility to him, meaning Rodog, of course. So uh, I, I, I don't know what Rodog's going to do, if he's going to give vapes to his entire team so everyone heals or something like that. That would like be the, Wasn't that in like an arcade patch or something? Yeah. <laughs> like a big gas field when you heal and like... Everyone gets to vape. Wasn't it a damage reduction as well? I remember that being something like, like that. awful. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was no, I think it was, I don't know. I don't know how you would fix Roadhog. His character model is like actually like a meme. It's like <laughs> yeah. the worst character model you could ever put in an FPS game. He's like... No armor, giant head, giant <laughs> yeah, body. Yeah, hitbox is crazy. Like actually, a crazy hero. So yeah, he, ha he has to become like small. They need to like just make him make him skinny. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna have a training montage yeah. where he just like loses like half his like jacked. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Junker Queens workout. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Junker yeah, yeah. Queens trains him in Junker Town. They make a cinematic from it. Make and it happen. So That'll be a fun smaller. arcade. <laughs> <laughs> something something olympia yeah yeah get to work get to work yeah 
Um, is there is there a place for Roadhog? I mean, they're saying they're, they want to add team utility, but you mentioned like how, you know, lack of a better word, like clowny this hero is to like fit into the game and make it viable and still have it be balanced and fun to play against. Custa's been on this train to just like rework Roadhog for quite some time. Are, are you two kind of just like convinced that like at this point just like redesign the hook, redesign the kit, or do you still think that Roadhog is, you know, a niche kind of unique hero to the game that's worth having still? Um, I think just rework is right click. I think it's right click's just too hard for people to use. Like, it's just too inconsistent. And if you had a different weapon for mid range, maybe it could be more consistent. I think that's like the big thing. Yeah, you can make him like a true shotgun hero and give him some other like new piece of utility on right click that's not the not damage oriented. It's like not a gun, like yeah. right. Like even if he just has the left, I mean, because most of the time on Roadhog you are just using the left click. If you took away the right click completely, the purpose of the right click is basically. I mean, occasionally you kill people with it, but it's mostly like breaking shields. That's like the most common use. Yeah, and shields like aren't even a thing in Overwatch yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. So, like... so, so back in the day, it was like, oh, this is really useful. I can like destroy the Ryan shield while kiting him, you know, or or Roadhog was a useful hero in Overwatch one, but. Um, I'm breaking the Sigma shield, guys. I'm having so much impact. <laughs> it's only I wear Sigma one, and I can just build my own shield. But um, yeah, they could give him some, like, like a new skill. You know, a lot of heroes have like a new skill, like a different skill on right click. Yeah. So, you, you know, I think in a way, Roadhog has no place, but it's like a rework. You know, it's like think about old Sim when it's like, oh, congrats. Like, my fucking old pup would build a shield jet. I hope they can't <laughs> find it. You know, it's like the most ridiculous skills. But then they make Sim like, oh, Sim's like a pretty legit hero now. Right. So, yeah. Just, I mean, you found her place. Yeah, yeah, I think building like the TP on a cooldown was like a great. I mean, not great, but it's like it makes her super unique and interesting. And taking away the auto aim on the primary made her much more interesting as like a fighting hero because she can actually be strong. So Roadhog could 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 become something new and different. I think. Yeah. All right. So moving on, the next hero we're moving on to the damage roll. We got Sojourn, the railgun being addressed just a little bit, just a tad. You know, there's no huge changes in here, but we got the Sojourn railgun being addressed. Obviously, been a huge topic about Sojourn, Mercy, all of that. So uh, we'll see what happens. Energy gain from the railgun. That is, energy gain is no longer based on damage done by primary fire. Each primary fire hit against an enemy player now grants five energy. And primary fire damage per projectile reduced from 10 to 9. So the comments are, the energy gain adjustment will help smooth out Sojourn's average railgun charge time because it won't benefit as much from critical damage or damage boost abilities. No, Mercy Beam. Um, hitting armor targets or other sources of damage reduction will result in quicker energy gains than before. Previously, damage boost and critical damage had an amplified effect for Sojourns and it reduced the time to build energy and lowered the threshold at which her railgun secondary fire became lethal. The reduction to primary fire damage will further slow down uh, that as well. So, pretty interesting change here. Yet to see kind of like how this will change the railgun uptime. Um, but a big topic seems to be here that they don't want headshots to just become this amazing railgun generation um, thing. So, uh, and also, you know, that is pretty interesting. You charge less railgun, I guess, from being beamed by Mercy. So, is this enough to kind of like tamper the Sojourn usage in ranked, or is this change not that interesting to you guys? I feel like this is like a change to tank matchups more than it changes Sojourn that much. Like in the end, the, getting faster rails is nice, but the reason the mercy boost is broken is the one hitting. Not really. I mean, it, it's like was. I guess you have even more chances to one hit. So, to be fair, this doesn't nerf the combo a bit. It's not like 
as insane synergy. But um, I think it's mostly a tank matchup change. Like, I think it's like a buff to Winston because Winston gets like eaten alive with headshots when you're on top of the Sojourn fighting here. And so you just like get railed with headshots and he gets, and Sojourn gets like three rails off before she dies just because she's like only headshotting you. Um, but it, and it's also, it's like a, so it's a buff to Winston because he's like, okay, I don't care. I'm like, they're not getting as much rails when I just jump in on them or like Doomfist or whatever, who also would get headshot while he's trying to shoot Sojourn. But it's like a big nerf to Arissa who, Felt really bad shooting Arissa on um, when she's like forded. You're like, oh, you're barely getting rail charge on her, but now you get rail charge pretty fast on the forward Arissa, like just like anything else, you know. So yeah, it's like pretty big nerf to um, Doom block and Ramacha block as well. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Although Doom block is like it's like a buff, you know. They're gonna oh, I, it's fine. I'm shooting the Doom guys. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm getting the rail charge, and then yeah. they kill the whole team. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, super punch is so bad now. I had a game against Zebra yesterday. I was playing Zarya. And I was just shooting the block anyways, and I was just like, just trying to tank the punch as a tank. Like, I was just like, like walking in his face, so he has to punch me only. And it's like, Super Punch feels so bad now, because they like, nerfed it really hard. Um, yeah, I, for me, I think Sodor needs a lot more nerfs. I, I think her hitbox and her mobility just makes her so strong. Like, out of any every hit scan, it's like, she's so hard to duel just because her hitbox. It's like yeah, same the, with the, AD, the way your your hero leans on AD strafing is like, I think those are the things that I don't know. I, I've never seen something like that addressed in the game. Like that's what made I think that's what makes Tracer so strong and so consistent for years is that like her she has like a crazy lean on the model when she's running left and right. When you AD strafe, you do like like your model is like swinging back and forth. Same for Lucio when Lucio you ever see like the Lucios yeah, the DPI switch and go crazy. It's like that's like. What make like that's a huge component of what makes those heroes like hard to fight at close range is when they're like good movement, they their model becomes like super hard to hit. And so especially like tracking heroes have a really hard time staying on them. Um so yeah, I think that could probably be addressed for a hero who can one hit you, but do you do you guys think the primary fire damage projectile going from uh ten to nine is going to like reduce her like overall damage pretty significantly? Because like obviously with a damage boost, like one of the issues that exists with Mercy and Sojourn is that she can just like slide into the your team's face and just like spam like everything that she has in everyone's face. Like, do you think that's enough to address those kind of issues, or do you think it's kind of like eh, it's not a big deal? The rail is really the primary offender. Um, I think it does add up, honestly. Um, yeah, any raw damage nerf is, is impactful. And, yeah, the, and you, the, yeah, you left click a lot. This is the original number, right? Because last patch they moved it up from 9 to 10. Yeah, yeah it was from 9 to 10. And now that has a spread, so it is worse yeah. for sure. Like, the spread is like a big nerf, actually. Yeah, hmm. she's, she's getting closer to balance, honestly. Like, the no slow on stuff. But maybe just like a couple more patches like this. I think two more patches with like minor nerfs. Yeah, you said and, you wanted to change her a little bit more. Do you have anything that comes to mind that just like you think is absurd with Soldier? I'd probably um, make her slide a little bit longer because it feels like it's like a god. It's like such a good mobility tool that like you can use it and then just eighty, eighty, eighty get pocketed and then you have it again. It's like insane, actually. Maybe make the length of it a little shorter because it's just such a strong mobility. I then probably nerf the rail damage a little bit. So I don't know what the thresholds would be for Mercy one hitting, but that could be something worth looking into.
Okay, actually, I want to I want to take this because you I, going into this podcast, both of you said that you don't think Mercy was the offender of these kind of issues. So we're gonna we're gonna unbox this a little bit because like <laughs> okay. you guys you guys want to nerf Sojin based on the Mercy breakpoint of the one shot. Don't you think that's like an issue overall? Because Jake, you said like Ash was in that ballpark as well when she was one shotting people with damage boosted headshot uh, in a way. Like, do you think that Mercy is the problem then, and not as much these hit scan Sojin? characters because otherwise you're taking away big chunks of damage from dps players who that's their identity in a way you could rework mercy to like not have damage boost i don't know i kind of think they did a really good job with the mercy movement change like from i don't know if it was like right off the bat but like they took them like 10 tries yeah. or whatever but like they kept iterating on it and then i actually like that mercy has kind of insane movement that's very hard to hit because you can still hit it it's just like you have to pop off you know, and I think so that that's kind of fun in the way on DPS. I think the Valk movement is where it gets like, all right, that hero's immortal, I don't shoot her. <laughs> you know, like that's that's how I think. And it's like, oh, she's Valk, I she, she can't die. Like if you have good movement, you're just gonna like bounce up and down and hyper. You can go speed. anywhere. Like, it's right? literally a waste yeah. of time. You're like self-healing, it's like a complete waste of time to to try and shoot her. Um, unless you have like tack visor, it's like irrelevant to shoot her. So um I think that can be a little crazy, but yeah, you could always nerf. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of like I don't know, just like okay, you nerf Sojourn's rail damage by like three, and it does like one sixty one, and and the mercy boost becomes like twenty seven percent instead of thirty or twenty five. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like you know, like I think I think point, yeah, I actually think they made. I think maybe this is a personal view, but I think it's dumb that like all the numbers are round numbers. It's like that doesn't really make sense to me. Like it makes sense if you look at the patch. Oh yeah, like this should be thirty percent, twenty five percent. It's like. Maybe it should be 27.1, you know, like, who knows, you know, like, in the end, it's a math problem. And the answer might not be, like, like, the, like, what is, you know, like, like, basically, I'm a fan of, like, micro changes. And they, I think they could, they could be more precise with it, like, keep, keep searching, you know, I don't think there is, like, a right answer, but rather just. My OCD is they're... going out of control. Just <laughs> yeah, picturing this. too much about <laughs> random numbers. It's like, oh, it's like, because, like, you could just make the threshold. So the Soldier Rail Boosted does 199. And that would, like, change the game dramatically. Yeah, I, I really would. I can, even though if you, it's like that. So if you wanted to keep as much possible power on Sojourn, as much possible power on Mercy, but the combos too OP, you change their numbers so it adds up to one ninety nine with damage boosted rail. You know, like I, I just don't. I don't know how, how willing they are to do that, but it seems silly that the numbers always end in like round numbers or like they go yeah. always by like five percent. You know, I, I think the combo is like really strong to play against, but then again, like um, Sojourn's been meta for like basically all of Owl, so. I think, like, even if, like, I think in pro play, teams are playing, like, Lucio, Kiriko, Ram, uh, Sojourn Tracer, or Sojourn Genji, or Sojourn Mei. I think those are, like, the variations. So, I don't even think, like, I, I don't think Mercy is, like, what makes her OP. Like, she's still played with Lucio and stuff. Do you think she's just kind of, like, a pub slumper of, like, let's just enable one player and just, like, hope for the best because the coordination isn't there? Because, like, as you said, if you have coordination, the Mercy usually doesn't get that level of value. Yeah, I, I think coordination is like a big thing. Like being able to like to push strong together and stuff. But like in ranked, if you have a Mercy Sojourn, the Sojourn can just front line so hard and just have rail literally every fight. Like if you just like walk up and just start poking before the fight starts, you just have rail and like what do you do? Like as like as, as an individual, like as a tank player, I can't do anything when there's just a Mercy pocket Sojourn just frontlining. Like I need my team to shoot her. But then like you have like people that are afraid to like go shoot the Sojourn because she's getting pocketed and it's like it's just too strong.
And, right? I mean, even most DPS heroes, it's like, that's why you have to play, like, Widow. It's like, okay, it's like the one hero who can, like, be threatening to Sojourn with a Mercy yeah. Pocket. I mean, like, literally, what hero are you going to play to fight the Mercy Sojourn? Like, Echo is, like, the one of the only heroes I had success with, but then Sojourn ults and you just auto-die. That's like, all right, cool. Like, even if she doesn't ult, sometimes you just, okay, I'm headshot. All right, well, he, he hit that. Like, <laughs> You know, or he just holds rail and like you can never commit. Like if you try to commit on Echo when they have Suzu and like a rail, I don't know. Whenever sergeants hold rail against Echo, it's really hard to play because yeah, you need your own mercy pocket. And then it's like okay, well it's good, but it's like not as good as Sojourn with a mercy pocket. So why don't I just mirror and then you play Sojourn every game? Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, to Kiriko, which is the final hero they're addressing here, um, and it's. Lots of changes going on here, Costa. You hyped it up to be like the, a huge thing, and I'm yeah. s- so disappointed to scroll to Kuriko. Jesus, man. <laughs> it is like <laughs> yeah. one change. Sorry, Dante. I didn't want to get your hopes up on this one. <laughs> Healing recovery time increased from 0.85 to one second. Uh, developer comments. Despite Kiriko's healing projectiles being slow-moving and single-target, her average healing output per match is higher than we'd like. We've seen players wow. tend to get overly focused on maximizing <laughs> her healing potential and only use her primary fire for extended periods of time, rather than reduce the amount of healing per projectile, which may lead to feeling locked into focusing on primary fire even more. We're increasing the recovery time before she can start firing the healing. Increasing recovery times opens the opportunity to weave in secondary fire kunai more freely. Oh, she really needed that, actually. Yeah, let's just, like, give her a soft buff. Or not a soft buff, but, like, a, a really minor nerf. Like, oh, now she can just do more damage because she didn't do enough damage. That's chill. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I agree with Dante <laughs> that this, <laughs> this hero needs, like, nerfs. Like, this is, this is a nerf. It is a nerf in the end, but it's a minor nerf. I think yeah. this more nerfs, but I really like this change because one thing I tested during the playoffs was that it's not possible, or previously it's not possible to efficiently shoot on Kiriko. Like, if you shoot a right click in between your left clicks, you lose healing efficiency. And so, realistically, it's just not worth Like, because, like, what are the odds? that the Because, like, I think it goes from, like, 75 heals per second to, like, 72.1 or something if you shoot the right click between, the, between your left clicks. So... So technically, okay, three heals per second. That's like almost nothing. But like, what are the odds that your right click is even going to hit? Pretty low. And by aiming away, you might miss like one projectile of the heal. So then you lose like a 20% of your heal. Okay, and then it becomes really bad to shoot. So you basically, I mean, I was like harping on this for like the entire playoffs while we we're practicing. I'm like, just heal. Like literally do not use the gun. It is a waste of time. Like do not use the gun ever. Like unless you're dying and you have to fight to not die. That's the only time you shoot. Or the, or the fight is lost and you need the clutch and just like to hit somebody those are the times you shoot but for the rest of the game don't do it i mean that's not true in pubs in pubs you can just carry the game and like go in the back line and kill them all but um in like the pro play it was like go crazy with heals. so the, the the what i like about this change is i think this means it is efficient to shoot one time per heal like fully efficient with no no healing loss, healing loss. so you actually will be forced to do it though that's not really how it's played in pubs and pubs people fight a lot and go to the do whatever take risks and stuff which in there is going to make her more fun. But yeah, I think she needs like more nerfs. I think like the, the step cooldown should go higher. I, honestly, I think she's too, she's too broken survivability wise. Yeah, I, I think she needs almost across the board uh, a slight change to almost everything she has right now. Uh, I can't, I'm kind of curious to see what the, 
the raw healing loss is for the recovery time. Like, I wouldn't say it would be that much, right? Like, you're losing 0.15 seconds on every single thing. Like, it'll be okay, but, like, what would you say, like, overall? 7% nerf to heal, something like that? Yeah, like... How much time are you recovering? Like, the actual heal shooting takes, like, 2 seconds or 1.5 seconds or something. So in the net, this this becomes, yeah, something like, I think, between 5 and 10% healing loss. Yeah, so something like that. But then, as Dante said, it's kind of a soft buff with everything you just said of, like, now you actually can weave in. So you're actually not just losing the healing. You're actually gaining something for that. But then you have, like, the issue of, like, how the Suzu just enables, like, your tank and, like, everything around that. Or, like, it makes it incredibly hard to punish people. Jake said the swift step means that you are pretty much immortal, especially when you combine that with the Suzu, because you should theoretically never be punished for playing aggressive in that way. And it's almost never worth anyone to try and kill you because of that. So I don't know. I, I, I'm with Dante. I think this is a pretty disappointing nerf because, you know, we've been asking for this for a while. She's been, she's been pretty much hard meta ever since she joined the game, right? Like she has not been not the best healer the entire time. So it's kind of sad to see that they're not being more aggressive. They're, they are saying that there is going to be a no- another round of nerfs coming in next season, but I would be surprised if she was on that list as well. Maybe she will be. Like, well, I don't know. That, that is yeah. the caveat, I, I think, as well, where, <laughs> I mean, they did promise Rodog changes in January. I think they specifically said January, right? And here we are, and we got some Rodog changes. And I guess they did a few tweaks to, you know, make people a little bit happier. But the fact of the matter is that in a, in a couple of weeks, we get a new season of Overwatch dropping and there's not going to be a new hero. And so maybe staggering some of the hero changes to that season could be something fun to announce to the players, something that gets people to return for that season, being like, oh, there's actually more Kiriko changes. There's actually more Sodium changes. Because it sounds, it sounds by, you know, Dante's tone that not really satisfactory to just <laughs> increase the healing recovery time a little bit. You sound quite frustrated with, you know, the Kiriko experience and um, as it is right now and these changes. Yeah, I think um, she just kind of like, she just what enables like the hog and the Arisa so hard and it just makes the meta like less enjoyable. Like so many heroes aren't playable. It's like Junkrat. Yeah, like, Junkrat's like one of the best. Hero, Junker yeah. Queen, man. How do you, like, this hero yeah. just deletes Junker Queen from the game. Yeah. Like, your ult is countered. I mean, like, that's, I think it's ridiculous, actually. That your ult is, like, actually, your ult is hard countered by a hero pick. Like, you don't even have to play Kirigo. You just, oh, they have Junker Queen? I'll switch when they have ult. And then, congrats, like, nice ult. You hit five of us. Oh, that was a good play. I pressed <laughs> like, Yeah. Queen ult's actually, like, pretty hard to use. Like, like you yeah. gotta be so careful for all the CC and stuff. And, like, and you now, like, if there's Kiriko, cast. you literally, yeah. you're just like, I cannot press my ult until the, the Kiriko presses her thing. And then the, if the Kiriko's a good player, she's like, I will not press your, my, my E until you ult. Like, that's the value of the Junker Queen ult, is that they can't use the Suzu when you have the, the Queen ult up. Because you yeah, lose so your self-heal like on the cleanse, right? Wait, yeah, you it, just the wound. it just deletes yeah, the wound. So then, like, oh, you have to go into their back line and you lose your heal. So it's like, well, there's, like, no, as Jake said, there's never a reason to press that button. Yeah, when I was I played a queen game and I was that way I was thinking is like, all right, yeah, I have ult. I had ult for like most of the round. I was like, I'm just gonna win the team fight without ulting because we, my advantage is that they can't suzu their queen. I'll just fight her and kill her without ulting because they can't suzu. And yeah. I can only ult when I can hit like people who are so far apart that they can't they can't be multi suzu'd. I'd love to see the AOE nerfed on suzu. It's too easy to hit a big group of teammates, like. I think it really should feel like more of a single target ability. Like I'm fine with, okay, you can Suzu the guys in the grab and it like saves them all. But 
it feels like a little that, yeah. too like oh i can just kind of put it in the middle of my three teammates like if that was just pulled in a little bit and it was like hard like if for instance if ana hits a big nade and hits like five people it should be harder to cleanse that than it should be to hit the, like the nade i think should have a bigger aoe than the, than the, and it's the also fun player. to make that decision like do i cleanse my tank or my damage players you know i can't just like throw yeah. it in the middle and you know i'm fine like you have to make a conscious decision about who to prioritize in that scenario which is a fun more of a single target to save make. yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily a single target save but you kind of maybe it should be more lead in that direction like junker queen all i think is a great example it's like if you do like a perfect junker queen all you know like there's, it's so likely that they're all going to get cleansed. It feels that way to me. Like, oh, it's like you can't expect that, there, that there's going to be anybody who's still who's still wounded at the end. Yeah, because you have to get a five man. They kind of have to be clumped up, and then they're clumped up, so they get suzued, and so there's no winning, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to touch on you know how long we've had this meta in place now, because I mean, Overwatch has Overwatch Two now has been released for you know quite some time, and here we are, and Kiriko. You know, it's meta, Sojourn's been meta for so long. Is it kind of frustrating that we've had this meta for so long? Did you expect quicker season, seasonal, like, big balance changes? Or do you kind of think that, like, well, these characters might actually be kind of good for the game in some degree? Like, they actually make the game more fun? Or do you share the frustrations of many people in the community that just, like... Like, why are we in this place where Rodog, Orisa, Sojourn, Mercy, Kiriko are just, like... The most talked about heroes for like months on end and we just not nothing is happening um i think the heroes like kiriko and sojourn like if they didn't make the meta so bad they would be good for the game like they're like fun heroes like who doesn't like playing kiriko and sojourn like they're really fun to play they're like high skill but they just make the meta to be not fun like when you can't play any other hit scans because the other team is like a sojourn it's not really fun as a hit scan player especially if you like prefer hard hit scans and stuff um and then I think Kiriko is like the same thing. It's like, oh, like I can't ever play Zen or Ana. It's like, I'm throwing if I am. And then on top of that, it makes heroes like Hog and Arisa like really strong. And no one likes playing against heroes like that. So it's like, it, it kills the diversity to the, of the game. I think that's like the big issue with it. Like they are fun heroes, but just no other option if you want to win. Which I think is why a lot of people are frustrated that, you know, especially once again, this Kiriko nerf is not going to change that for Kiriko. Like she is still going to be a must pick and we're going down this line. And it's just frustrating that we can see the writing on the wall. We've been doing this for about six months and then they're still not willing to just sort of like be like, hey, even if for now they were just like, let's just nerf it so that they're not going to be good right now. Like that's fine. And just sort of give the people a break. We'll find what the numbers are that like are important and then we'll bring that back. But honestly, the way I look at Kiriko, it kind of feels like she's getting the tracer treatment these days where... She's kind of a game franchise, you know, icon for a lot of people. People really yeah, like sure. Kiriko in the community. So I wouldn't be surprised if they almost don't want to put her in the ground because people like playing her. She's a fun hero. People like her as a character. And because I can't find any other reason that they haven't put more work into this hero. Um, because she she's just going to stay this strong and they don't put any heavier things in it. It's just going to be like this forever. And it's just frustrating to play against. As Dante said, whenever there's ne negative diversity of if you don't play this hero, you lose the game. That is generally when we have the worst matters. Yeah. Jake, um, I, 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 I consider you someone who writes a nice balance between like wanting competitive integrity when it comes to like, don't fuck up our game and just like massively overall heroes each season. But also you're like, 
well, if something's bullshit, like, please change it and, you know, make it more fun for the game. Where do you stand on, like, the pace of balance changes and, like, the approach that Blizzard is taking to real some of those heroes? Like, you said you wanted some, you know, more precise, minute changes to these heroes, but are you kind of fine doing these small changes to heroes uh, throughout the seasons? Or would you rather see, like, big seasonal overhauls to heroes to really change up the meta? What, what, what kind of balance do you enjoy in that regard? Personally, I think... The, the scale of the patch should dictate its tempo. So like, let's take this patch as an example. Like for me, the Roadhog nerf is something I don't expect on like a fast pace. Like for me, the Roadhog nerf, I'm like, okay, yeah, that can take a while. That can be like once a season, you know, these a few heroes are getting these like, okay, substantial kind of like rework-esque changes. I wouldn't say this is a rework, but this this is like a big change. I mean, it's like six patch notes, right? On one hero. So, you, you know, it's, it's a pretty significant impact on the hero. Where, so I don't expect that to be on a fast pace. I don't expect that to be coming out, you know, every couple of weeks. But I personally, I think stuff like the Arisa change, the Sojourn change, and maybe Sojourn change is a little bit, but even the Sojourn change is pretty like small, medium sized change. And the Kiriko change, I feel like these these patches to me can be on like a two week cycle. Like I would I would love like every two weeks there's just these tweak 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 like five tweaks. Five heroes get one minor patch note. And it's kind of like, huh, like all the, like all these changes, like the, the, the three of the heroes, right? We kind of had this huh, reaction, like, well, that's a change. Like it's different, but how, how much would that really matter? Maybe Arisa is like, maybe that does matter. Maybe it doesn't matter. You know, like we're, we're debating it. We're discussing it. And I think that's really good for the game that the, there's a fast pace of small changes. So there's like always something kind of, you can explore, but it's not like, holy crap, Roadhog's terrible now. Like unplayable you know like that's not okay that can that shouldn't be every two weeks you know that can be every you know couple months or season or whatever but I, I wish there was more small patches i also feel i wish there were more notes on like more heroes you know like like i want to patch every two weeks like in my ideal world if i was running the balance team i would have like a patch every two weeks that has maybe like 10 to 15 changes and it's like one change per hero there's like these heroes are like 5% too weak and we're going to make them a little bit stronger. And these heroes are 5% too strong and we're going to make them a little bit weaker. You know, like we're going to make them like 2 to 3% weaker or stronger, you know. Like to me, these like that's what three out of the four changes are in this patch note. And I would wish those were on like a two-week cycle, just way, way, way faster. What are they on now? Like a two-month cycle? Something like that. Um, and then the, I, I don't expect stuff like the Roadhog changes or like reworks to heroes. Those can be seasonal or, monthly, you know, every couple months, whatever it may be. But for me, that's that's how the that's how an ideal world that would be. I don't know if there's something. I've always thought there's there's some problem based on like the console. You like can't patch yeah, consoles. Yeah, that is an so issue. Like yeah, you can't do that. And but, also, I mean, it takes a like a lot of like employee time to actually put a patch together. And so that was the impression I got that actually, if you want to release a patch every two weeks, the developers are spending so much time like making the changes, writing the patch notes, organizing as like the crew, like change this that that like. It makes more sense to me when I've thought about this that one big, like big patch at the start of every season just like wait makes way more sense. But then you get into this dilemma where it's like, well, you flip the entire game on its head with a huge patch, and you don't know necessarily what the outcome is gonna be. And then you might I be mean, stuck I with a bad patch for like a season. The problem is that every patch is flawed. Like it's the nature of of a game like Overwatch that the patches are flawed because Overwatch has the most hardcore mechanic ever ever made in a popular video game, which is that you can switch your hero at any any time. The roadlock made it significantly less bad, like three times less bad. I mean, if you think about it, like to me, this is like a crazy thing in Overwatch that 90, 90% of the player base never interacts with because 90% of the player base is like has got their few heroes and that's what they play. And that's like 
yeah, like I'm going to switch within these three or four heroes that I'm like confident on. And maybe I'll play other stuff for weird circumstances, but most of the time I'm on these few heroes. But the fact that at any time in Overwatch, your decision tree is, okay, I'm this hero and I have my skills and I can go these different places on the map. I have all these decisions to make, right? That's like a normal gaming decision tree. But in Overwatch, there's this is that part of the tree. There's also the, I go back to spawn and I play any other hero in the game and I use any skill on the game. And, you know, like, like, so to me that, that has always been like this insane thing where, you know, even a hero that has like some situational utility, you know, it's like, you, you, you basically like, you, like for a hero, like Farah, like you just can never play Farah again. I mean, you can, it's like sort of a troll pick. But, like, <laughs> you can try. Because, <laughs> because like, even if they're not playing the counters, they'll just go switch to the counters and then you'll be suffering. And then, yeah. but it's, it's, you play it to counter one tricks. It's like, okay, this is fun, you know? And then. So I just think it's it's that mechanic means that you need to have like a faster pace of changes to the game because there's never going to be a perfect patch. Every patch will have exploits forever. Like it's just the nature of Overwatch. There will always be strongest comps. And that's why I like these, the, the subtle changes on a fast pace because they kind of, they make you want to try new things. They make you want to experiment. They, they kind of, it disrupts the status quo, but it doesn't take a hammer to the status quo. Like the patch isn't going to feel, like if you were, don't, don't count the Roadhog changes, imagine there's three changes. You'd be like, okay, meta's the same, I think, but maybe I'd try another hero. Like, that's what I want on a faster pace. And and to me, I mean, I, I'm totally ignorant of the development process, frankly. So it's it's it's. I think it's important to know that because I don't know really why that this is so much development time for the devs. But I don't understand why numerical changes are, are so hard um, in terms of employee time. Like, I can do it in, in the custom hobby, right? So... So why is it True. like you know that, I mean that like would if be I just... convenient, but I guess it's more that like you know when when you have to like build or like release a new patch, like you go from mm -hmm. build I don't know twelve thousand sixty one to thirteen thousand forty eight, like someone has to build that build and then deploy it and make sure it doesn't break the game and like there's just so much shit that I have no fucking idea about. But yeah. <laughs> essentially, I mean, I totally get how like reworking stuff and making the skills like work in a different way requires some like deep level of of it, like work in the game and then like putting together these these patch notes like you know i can see how that, that would take time but to me the small patch notes are worth the time investment basically i just think because I, I mean I, I guess it's hard to know like how much how much time is it actually how many people how yeah. many hours like yeah that, and, and they got that hot really fix matter, thing but... right they 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 allegedly they fixed the hot fix um you know deployment but i thought tool it was the point had. of overwatch 2 that it's like they made the game so it's easier to work with Right, like that's like, yeah. isn't wasn't that the that kind like of a point of Overwatch too? Is that yeah. like you can work with the game and like do a faster pace of changes? I I just always thought this is what Overwatch needed since the beginning is just these little tweaks that make you want to experiment, want to try new things. Yeah, I think that's what makes Overwatch fun is experimenting, trying new things. When you find that sick new synergy, when like the Arisa comes out and people are like simty ping the Arisa, it's like that is the magic of Overwatch to me is the exploration phase of the game where we're still studying the game. It can be fun as like a pro player to like optimize goats. And like, there's a level that, that is really fun, honestly, when you're playing on like a pro team. But for me as like a, like the way I am now where I'm not a hardcore player anymore. I just like, I'm basically a casual player, right? I just happen to like still be good at the game from playing professionally, but I'm still like, my mindset is casual. And so I don't enjoy the game when the meta's locked in. It's like, okay, I, I figured it out, guys. I can play Soldier and a Widow every single game. I don't want to play Soldier and a Widow, so I just don't want to play Overwatch anymore. Yeah, you know, like it's been you, figured out. But you I can't play experiment. the heroes you want to play. 
Like that, yeah. that's the thing that sucks the most to me. We're just like, well, the meta's been figured out. And what we figured out is you can't play the hero that you want to play. So, yeah, sorry. Whereas <laughs> when we're still in the experimental phase, which happens when you have these little patch notes, at least it encourages people to experiment. You can't be like mad at somebody experimenting. Then I think the overall game experience is in a healthier place at the high level where it's like, where, which is how I think it is probably at the low level all the time, no matter what you do, where people are just kind of playing whatever. I think the game's like more fun when, when that's the case. When people can play whatever, they can play their comfort picks and stuff. Like, you know, you're like, all right, we can make this work. We can make that comp work. Or it's like when the game gets to the point where it's like, oh, well, we had about 5% chance to win. It's going to be fun. You know, like, uh, it's just like that, that to me is super depressing. Whereas you might have, that might have been true at the beginning of the patch too, but you didn't know it. So it doesn't feel that bad. But once you like know that the Mercy Sojourn is going to just have rail every single, every three seconds against your Roadhog. You're like, all right, guys, <laughs> what yeah. are we doing here? So before we move on, uh, we did have actually Pre uh, from the Boston Uprising in the chat, and it did ask an interesting question about uh, the patch cycling as well and our thoughts mm -hmm. about that, specifically as how it relates to the Overwatch League, because, you know, we had some pros and cons this past year where we wouldn't, uh, first of all, we didn't play the same game that people had access to, but second of all, uh, we sometimes weren't playing on the same patches um, that the live game was catered around. And this has obviously always been like a topic in the Overwatch League. You guys have been around forever. You know, you know the whole deal. It's like, are we going to play the actual patch that the, the live game is playing or should the Overwatch League be on a separate patch for competitive integrity reasons. So when Jake suggested a two-week, you know, cycle or with like small number changes or whatever to heroes, maybe change things up a little bit. Yeah, maybe that helps out a little bit. But then, you know, on the counter argument, we get into situations where stage three is jotes and it sucks. But at the same time, you can't really change it mid-stage because that's a bit unfair to the the teams that are really good at jotes and have specialized on jotes now. So my question is to you, Dante, where, where do you stand on like making changes to um, Overwatch League balance like mid stages, even if it makes the game like a little bit more fun, arguably, you know, that depends on who, who you consider like having fun. Where do you stand on like the competitive integrity of making small changes to a live stage in the Overwatch League? Um, I think small changes are fine for the most part, um, like Jake was talking about with the two week changes, because it probably won't change the meta like crazy. Um, the hero, it might be annoying as a pro player playing heroes that are slightly different in ranked, but it's like, I, I think it's important for the health of the game to have like frequent changes. So I think, um, like small number changes every two weeks and like the bigger patch, um, between stages would probably be good. Um, there might be times where you can't play on that for like two weeks, but like it is what it is. It's unlucky just as long as the overlap isn't at like awful times where it's like, a week into the like new stage we're like playing on a different patch on live that, that's when it's annoying but for the most part if it like lines up decently then i think it's fun like just have one big patch like mid-season like not even like big but just like stronger changes like jake was saying and then small ones every two weeks do you, i think it should be an issue do you think with the idea of like let's say fundamentally they can't do these two week changes all the time and at least consistently like they they've shown they can do it like on emergency basis but do you think, if that's true, right, and they can only do a big patch at the start and the middle of the season, do you think they should be more aggressive with it? Because, like, obviously this will affect the Overwatch League as well when it's going. Do you want to see, like, bigger changes similar to what we saw with Roadhog, where it's like, hey, this person is 5% better, let's hit him pretty hard just so we get diversity in the meta? Because what happened in this midseason patch, right, was the patch was essentially irrelevant. It didn't really do much to change anything. That's where the frustrations uh, laid in this season. 
Yeah, I, I think um, that'd be nice, but I kind of think they need better reads on it. I feel like sometimes they don't know what's actually the issue. Like, they're targeting Hog and Arisa, like, pretty hard. Or I guess not Arisa too hard, but Hog really hard. But in reality, it's just Kiriko that makes Hog OP. Like, you can't play heroes like Onizen. It's just a bad read from them. Like, I, I guess Hog changes are needed because he's never fun when he's meta. But I feel like they don't understand the real issue that makes the metas unfun. And I think they need, like, a deeper understanding to understand why metas are unfun at the higher level. Like, I feel like they use, like, numbers too much from, like, like or numbers and data. And that doesn't really tell you why a hero is broken. They're like, oh, like, Sojourn has a 48% win rate in, like, all ranks. It's like, I guess she's not that OP. But, like, they don't look at, like, the big picture of high ranks, like, what dictates, like, why things are actually good and make, like, make heroes good. So one of the takeaways from this patch essentially is that this was actually like a nice welcomed patch had there only been a change to Susu. Because <laughs> then it would have been kind of justified and fine to some degree. Yeah. I think if they changed Susu and made like Kiriko cooldowns a little bit longer, um, she wouldn't be like as needed of a pick. Like they nerfed her all, they did a good job with that, I think. Yeah. Um, I think she's getting to a closer place. It's just her cooldowns are so strong and such short cooldown. It's like, it's just, you have to play her. I also think the alt change is interesting. To me, it, I, really, I don't think it changed any thresholds on the hero. And what I mean by that is, like, how do you actually play against Caracol? Like, you still can't beat into the Caracol. The Lucio, I mean, like, I always get, I get so mad at me. My Lucio, like, beats when they Caracol. It's like, dude, we need to just run. Like, speed at me away. Like, we're not fighting into it. Like, I'm not killing them when they have, you know, double cooldown speed. Like they're gonna all have their their cooldowns up and they're Insane gonna live. movement speed too. Yeah, it's like Kiriko's gonna have like the Kiriko's gonna. They're all speed boosted. Like we need to run. We can't fight in this. Like the, we're gonna drop the beat. The not gonna kill anybody. Three seconds later, beat's gone and they're still in the Kiriko. We're all dead. We have to press morals. So it, to me, it doesn't change the thresholds of like how you can you actually fight into the Kiriko. No. So so it's, it's like weaker. It's not as completely psycho broken, but. It just doesn't. It doesn't change anything in terms of how you play the game. I guess it could matter on like if you're playing Ana against Kiriko or like they have less cleanses up with the cooldown cycle. Like there are like certain ways you maybe you could fight into the Kiriko ult, but yeah. So I like the nerfs, but it, to me that wasn't that wasn't that's not going to nerf that's going to address Kiriko as being an extremely strong hero because the ult still guarantees a fight win inside of it unless you like have Trank. That's like the I mean that's the only good thing Zen has against Kiriko is like oh I Trank kind of counters the Kiriko ult, but. You still have to play Zen when you don't have ult, and then that's not so good. Um, you died to Sojourn. <laughs> no, you died to Kiriko. She like rolls up. Oh, and that, you, that is true. Yeah. Yeah, the Winston, the the doofus jumps on your head with a fucking Kiriko. Oh, okay, yeah. like, at least you can kick him now. You know. Yeah, you, you kick him away. Another cleanse. They don't get kicked. Ah, of course, of course. So something that is tangentially dis the you know uh, it. Fuck, I just lost my wording. Uh, tangentially related to this, this, this patch cycle kind of conversation we're having in debate is, you know, again, we talked about the implementation to the Overwatch League and making small adjustments to the mid stages. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch a question to Custa, despite being a regular on the show. Here we go. <laughs> like a bit, of a bit of a heavy question here, but it really felt like this past season, we, we kind of just like, uh, you know, not even the devs, but like us as parts of the Overwatch League, the players, but also like the talent and like the viewers, we're just like, you know, I, we don't really care about competitive integrity at this point. Just like give us fun Overwatch, just give us like entertaining Overwatch. So 
we got to this point where we had the Jote stage, and it might have been the worst meta in, in, the, in the Overwatch League history. And we had a lot of like <laughs> the double rest meta, we had GOATs, we had a lot of... But that, that might have been, been peak. And so the question is, ha have we just like forfeit the comp competitive integrity argument? And we, would we have just been fine as enjoyers of Overwatch, as the top 1% of Overwatch, just be like, well, this stage is kind of bullshit because it's just jokes and it's boring and we acknowledge like how of a low skill patch this is and also to that argument we had Kiriko being released for the playoffs of course and I don't know what Dante and Jake uh, thinks but like it kind of just felt like people were just like hey you know we get it you know they want viewers for the playoffs they released a new hero it's fine you know it's not the most competitive integral part and maybe that is because historically we haven't been a league that caters to the competitive integrity and keeping things the, cha the same for the sake of making it more fair to teams. But at this point, we kind of just like given up and we we're like, well, there's going to be a playoff patch like two weeks before the playoffs to just change things up, but we're fine with it. We'll just roll with it. It is what it is. So my question is to you, Costa, is this, this big topic here now. Are we kind of just fine with like big overhauls to the game in spirit of making it more fun to the viewers as a product? And just kind of acknowledging that, like, it isn't the most fair, but it's what health, what's healthy for the game and for the league as a whole. I think it all intertwines into what Jake said earlier of, I think, even if it's not purely balanced, the most fun time, myself as well, that I've ever had in Overwatch, especially at the highest end of competitive, is when everyone's trying to innovate. When people are trying to make their own things up and work out what is better rather than a joke situation where everyone realized pretty quickly, fuck it, we just got to play Junker Queen. Like, we just have to commit to this, and then it becomes about the, the minute details, which, as you said, is fun in its own right, but as a viewer and as a whole, most people aren't going to enjoy that. People want to mix things up. People want to try something different. They want map-specific heroes, you know, and that's why I think we can all agree Mid-Season Madness was by far the best meta that we had this year, like, because yeah. people were doing different things. London Spitfire was playing fucking Rush for all, for all we know. You know, people are trying different things. Circa Royale, Sigma was being played, right? I don't think at this point we care about pure balance and i think it's an unrealistic expectation to get the game to a point of pure balance or like even just uh interesting uh i would say like 50 50 of like everything can be played for me i just want to see the game be continually updated quickly in a fun fair manner that competitive can thrive in a way so it feels fun to play competitive it feels fun to have your own ideal style and then you can apply that onwards and i think that would be for the best for Overwatch league and that's why as jake said if you did these minor two-week patches every now and then maybe something all of a sudden will be like hey maybe we try this maybe we do this and the game would change so much that there would never just be a clear-cut answer to every question yeah i agree i remember i used to be like um, in the older years i'd be like kind of frustrated when we'd have to play on like a completely different patch and ranked but I don't know, I was spoiled back then, like, this year we didn't even have Overwatch 2, we had to play Overwatch Classic, like, we couldn't even play, we couldn't even practice the game, and that, like, conditioned me, I'm like, okay, maybe it isn't that bad when a few heroes are a little bit different in ranks, like, I, like, who cares, like, just bring me patches, like, I want the, like, game to succeed, I don't want, like, the game to fail, because, like, when a lot of people play the game, it's just more fun, like, like, ranked just feels fun when, like, you're not in the same lobby every single game, like, when the game's alive, like, Twitch, everything, like, it just feels more fun. It's more enjoyable. And I think um, one thing I actually liked about the balancing um, throughout this year 
is they weren't afraid to like revert changes. Um, like they, mm. they added 225 HP to Zen just like just to like shake up the meta, and it did like really good with mid season. Like there are a lot of different comps. Like there's like Luciana sometimes, like the Ryan you were talking about, um, on a Zen for the most part. But then they just reverted it right after, and like they even let him keep the kick. And I think like changes like those are good because it's like I don't know they they're like not afraid to like go back on it. But I feel like before they were so afraid to go back on it, and then they would like heroes would always get this weird path where they would get like weird buffs, but like weird nerfs, and it just made it feel bad. But I really like what they did with Zen. Yeah, plus one to that that they're not scared to go back on a change when. Maybe other changes make that change not necessary, or maybe it was too much, or maybe you go in the middle, or maybe you go even more of a nerf, right? Like, I think the game is so incredibly complex. It's, like, beyond human comprehension, I think. Like, yeah. you know, take a game like chess or whatever, right? The AI is already, like, better than humans will ever be at it. So that kind of shows humans are not capable of, like, completely understanding a game like chess. And so you take a game that's about a million times more complicated, like a modern FPS game where there's, like, you know, a thousand times as many variables, it's not a question of solving the game. That that's completely impossible. So we just, it's like we have to accept that the, so there's there's no solving. There's no such thing as a solve. Like the solve is we've optimized the game in something no one else can figure out, and so we can't expect that that's like um, ever gonna. We can't expect to solve a patch where okay, there's no there's no like equilibrium strategy. You know, it's like that's that's too hard. Like don't don't try to do that. It's it's like a fool's fool's errand in a way. Yeah. And I mean, that, that is one of the biggest misconceptions, actually, that when like pros find a meta, it's usually because there's, it's also related to like practice time and like getting good at that. It's like, well, is it worth for us to take a month to discover a composition or strategy that could beat what is meta? Well, we're just playing this for a stage. So it's, it's, it's more convenient for us to just follow what everyone else is doing and get better at what they're doing and just accept that this is, you know, our best chance to win rather than just taking a wild gamble that will eventually stumble upon something that's good, which, by the way, people are going to catch up on and might even be better at us uh, at anyway. So it, there's, like you said, there's no solving in that regard. There's just people trying to find what's best for the least amount of time, you know, possible in, in, in some kind of calculation there, right? So interesting. Uh, I also, also want to add, Johnny, to your original question about the competitive integrity and, and patch cycle thing. For me, I think... I, yes, I'm saying Overwatch, I want Overwatch to change. I want like this faster, like, you know, minor patches, but on a faster pace, um, uh, like numerical minor changes on a faster pace. I, so I want Overwatch change, but I also think Overwatch League should change. I think the stages are too long. I think the stages are, are, are too long and they should be like, in order to like, how do you have competitive, you want a competitive, like, I don't think having a big patch in the middle of the stage, okay, that can be like kind of messed up. But what if the stage is just shorter? Like, what if there's more stages and they're shorter? What if it's more like closer to, like or more, match the seasons of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or I don't know about the seasons of the game. The seasons of the game might be too long. Maybe uh, still or, long. Or, yeah, nine weeks. Yeah. So, so isn't that like longer than the stage or a lot longer? It's like two stages. Maybe. But what if you could fit like three stages in a season or something, and then each season has like three minor patches? You know, um, I'm with Dante too. I think with the minor changes, it's okay that like the patch is different than Overwatch League because these are like like this level of change that I'm suggesting where it's small numerical tweaks. If you want to practice the other hero, it's not a different hero. It's just like a slightly worse version. Like the hero that's meta in the Overwatch League that you need to practice for, for scrims and matches, you're going to play in rank just because you need to practice it. It's just going to be like, you know, a couple percent weaker. It's not that you didn't like get rid of one of its skills. It's not like playing Overwatch 1 where like, okay, I just cannot double bubble myself on Zarya. Like I just I just can't do that, but I'm still playing Zarya. So I have to like, it like messes with your head, you know? 
like the reworks, it is a big competitive integrity issue, but the numerical changes, I think it's fine. And I think also Overwatch League, we can, they can be meet in the middle. We can have faster patches from the game and we can have a faster cycle of stages and, and tournaments from Overwatch League, um, where it's not as much build up to each one, but there's more of them. I, to me, I think that is more of the spirit of the game. So what Custo was saying of this experimentation and this like variety and comps and, and new metas that's exciting for the viewers. I, for me, I mean, I, I like, I, I would, th maybe this is just me projecting from how I feel, but I think as a viewer, it's way more interesting to see what new metas are going on. And like you said, like when London Spitfire is playing Ryan and, and, you know, we're playing on a Zen doom, like who's going to win? Like that's an interesting match to watch. Yeah. And there were mirror lots of different tank matchups are, this past year. are the worst actually, yeah. in my opinion. I think the mirror match is the worst and you want to avoid it as much as you can. And, but it's inevitable that there will be a lot of mirror matches because there will be like an optimal strategy. However, there's the least likelihood of mirror matches early in the stage. It's like, as you play the stage, everyone watches what the best teams do and you copy them. Like that's, I mean, that's the way it's like obvious, obvious. That's how you should do it. Right. If you're like not doing well as a team and the strategy is super important in overwatch, you should watch what the better teams do and then take their strategy and, and adopt it as your own and maybe adapt to yourself. But, but really you're going to be doing what they do if they're that much better than you. It's a, that's how you should do it. I mean, like every team should think this way, in my opinion. Um, there's exceptions where you're like Linus Bifar, like, you know, we're going to just do something totally different, which is cool. But I think it's always going to be the case that there's like a strategic optimum strategy of, okay, if we're not doing well, we copy what the, the teams that are doing well are doing. But if you have a faster cycle, so the stages are shorter, then relatively more matches are spent in the everyone's experimenting against each other phase and less time at the end of it where, okay, we all copied each other. We all copy what the best teams did, and now we're all playing the best team strategies against each other and seeing who's better at the game. Yeah. Like if you condense the cycle, we spend it's more instead of it being like 25% experimentation, 75% copying each other, it can be more like 50-50. And and maybe then like with a faster competitive cycle in, in Overwatch League, it'd be easier to match a faster patch cycle in the game. Yeah. I, th I think the biggest kind of issue with that, and it's a problem that the Overwatch League is facing, is that you almost have so many teams that to make it fair for all the teams to qualify for something for a stage, you need them to play a minimum amount of matches. And so just for the Western region, then you're like, well, we have 13 teams. They need to play at least maybe like four matches each to qualify to make it fair. Because otherwise you get into like, oh, well, our two, three qualifying matches are uh, San Francisco Shock, LA Gladiators, and now Boston Uprising in 2023 is just like, well, what the fuck? Like, we just have to play the best teams in our qualifier games. So it's like kind of unfair in that, like, each stage, like, do you have a weak strength of schedule or a hard strength of schedule? Or are you going to play tournaments? And at the same time, you can't really do a, like, a single limb tournament like Valorant are doing now to just have fun with the stage because, like, well, each team needs to, like, be able to have, you know, a certain amount of matches they play each year. Because, you know, if you're actually a team and you're like, well, we played, we played six matches all year, guys. We can't, we can't have that. So... There's a, there's a balance there where it's like, well, we're a league, but we're not really a tournament circuit. And so it, it's just a lot of pieces to that. It's an interesting question, um, but I, I, I think we'll, we'll move on and save it for later because we got some new breaking news that, you know, chat has been raving about for um, some time now. So finally it's go. out. I've been, I've been sitting on this for a while. I'm yeah. shocked. Honestly, I couldn't have seen this coming. You know? The worst <laughs> kept secret in Overwatch League. Yeah. I feel like it's did it? Roster. Or did it leak? I don't know. I didn't yeah, it, leak. yeah, it leaked. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. It's been out well, there for a while. Like People have been rumoring it. But... Yeah. Yeah, These guys are all such good players. Like when none of them were being signed, it kind of like 
confirmed it in itself that like this team was going to happen because these are all great players who all deserve to be on a spot so i think it's a cool roster like i there's yeah. so many cool interesting teams to just sort of see how it's going to pan out right like these guys were all most of them were rookies last year and had like pretty good performances on their respective teams and now they come together you know back to their american tornado days like all right. I don't so, know, Dante. Are you yeah. scared? I, I, I just got to do quickly for the audio listeners because they don't know what, like, what we're talking about here. But Toronto Defined, they announced the roster that we were expecting. So the official roster list is Kalusha is the sole tank of this team. The DPS are Hydron, Speedily, and Sam. And the support are OG, Ultraviolet, and Sermajed. So a few interesting questions here. But yeah, we'll go back to what Costa asked. Dante, are you scared of this roster at all? Or are you just like, eh, it's mid? Um... <laughs> I, I think uh, they have potential to be really good. Um, I, I'm friends with like a lot of them, but I, I think they do have their issues that could arise. Um, I feel like uh, they all have like pretty big egos. Uh, kind of like reminds me of like Sinatra in season one. And I think uh, they definitely have to like figure out their egos and like mentals before anything else. Like I think individually they're all like really really talented, but I think that's an issue. And I think no tracer player is an issue. Like Hydron plays tracer. But um, most, like 90% of the time, his scan is meta with Tracer. So I think that could be an issue. Throw a dart um, at a calendar in Overwatch, and his scan Tracer is probably the meta. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Kaluj is like, I I'm not worried about solo tank with Kaluj. I think Kaluj is like actually really fucking, like he's a super good player. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's like really high on the solo Not tank. really one of my worries with the team, but the other two things are more so my worries. But if they can like figure that stuff out, I think they'll be really talented, like really, really good team. So are you worried if they get off to a slow start? Is that sort of what you're saying? Like if all of a sudden, because there's going to be a lot of hype that comes into this team. If they start slow, they're not getting the wins or the results that they're expected. Do you think that could cause conflict within the team, even though they have that history? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, I, I worry about their mentals, but they are I really think that's good. the key test of the season for them, right? It's like, they're not rookies anymore. I mean, as a rookie, I think it's like more understandable, like as a coach perspective, right? If a player's a rookie, then I'm like more understanding of them being like, um, you know, having uh, what's well, like, people say like your mental, right? So people like whether it's like ego issues or or getting upset, getting frustrated with their teammates, like it's like okay, it's like more like understandable. And then as time goes on in your career, I think it's important that you kind of grow up and you understand the realities of the game. You like understand what's important. You know, you don't get mad for like dumb reasons, like getting personally upset at somebody. Like a lot, I think something I see a lot from either like very young players or rookies or like people who aren't are, like contenders players is they're like raging at their teammates or something it's like i don't know like uh i, I don't I, like i i usually just write that out like you're like a kid you know basically but you have to grow past that stage to become like truly a great player like you know you can be upset at your teammates and like that's normal it's a very intense environment and that's always going to happen actually but then it's like finding the middle grounds where you know you're like coming back together as a team and or, or, or minimizing the time you spend like basically wasting time because you're upset and then move yeah. on to the fixing your problems and like becoming a better team and helping each other improve. Um, which I think if this team can get to that level, because like Dante said, I think they're all super strong players. If they can get to that level where they're building each other up and like becoming stronger as a unit and, and working hard together, um, then they can be really good. Personally, I think like, I don't know, I'd scapegoat Atlanta actually. This is how I think it's like the Atlanta mindset of the guy, people who just like, they're like, don't care that much, you know, or like whatever. Maybe they, they care, but like, I don't know, like Atlanta had like troll scrims a lot last year. And that I was like, I don't yeah, know. That's like so, cool. You're like the, the lowest of the low. You're going to troll a scrim. Yeah. You're like yeah. the lowest of the low. Like we, we, I mean, I understand if you're like hard stomping a scrim, you get like a little silly. We have times where we're like winning the scrim and they're trolling. I'm like, 
what is going on? Like, yeah, like they just randomly go hog when a hog's a throw pick, and they're like, oh, we know it's, we, we know we're not trying to win. Like, like they'll just like type and match that. Yeah. yeah it's or like, they'd be like, know. like we, we said like Dorado once, and they're like, oh, we don't play Payload. Payload is boring in Overwatch 2. <laughs> we're, we're like, what? Like, what do you mean you don't play it's Payload? Like, like <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a real story. Like, it's okay. unbelievable. So, Wait, so. The guys could fix that and, and move past their their some not all of them I would say because I I think some of them are like for me I I met speedily at the grand finals and I think this can be collusion I think some of these guys are like really mature and like can can succeed really well so like it's also possible that some of the guys can like elevate the the rest of the team um, and then I think so I think for most of them it's like they're still in that phase it's not clear what their legacy will be as a player. But this can this is either an opportunity to reinforce that there there's like ego problems and they're not gonna be able to work together and they're gonna tilt if they start losing, or it'll be an opportunity to like grow and change for all of them. I, I hope they take the opportunity to like grow because I think this team can be super exciting if they come together. This could be like the best Western roster, um, maybe ever, maybe in a long time. Um, with with um, if that if that's how it goes, if if they kind of rise to the occasion. It's funny because I actually I think the. I think the real test is on Kasaurus. You know, I think he's mm -hmm. having his own Agreed. right of like coming of age in a way of like he's had a lot of success on, you know, the San Francisco Shock. He's a, he's a great guy. He has a great knowledge. If he can pull this team together, get them to work, stop, you know, get rid of that, you know, trolling aspect, get their egos out the door, that would be a big boom for him. And that would be like a massive thing for this team. So I, as a whole, this team is just exciting to watch. Yeah. I mean, a big unanswerable question to me. Is, is is sort of the Casaurus, uh, you know, part of this equation too? Because you have this team coming together, um, but Casaurus, obviously coming from the San Francisco Shock, he has his way of doing things, the way he thinks, you know, Overwatch should be played. But then you also, as you guys have already addressed, like the these these rookies, they're like they're they're young, but they're incredibly talented, and they might have a, like a philosophy, maybe you know, using some of that Atlanta Rain energy when it comes to. Um, you know, being a bit stubborn at times, but also a bit fearless in like the way you play the game and um, not overthinking it in that regard. But, you know, the question would be like, well, how much is this Casaurus being like, yo, let's just get the AT roster together. Like this would be the dream versus how much is this actually the ownership group of Toronto Defiant and Adam, who's, you know, very much want to be have a successful roster they've tried so many times now putting together like a great team how much is this the ownership group being like if there's an opportunity for us to sign at we'll fucking do whatever it takes because this is going to be one of the best western rosters there's going to be a huge boon for our franchise when defiant haven't historically achieved that much so i'm not taking it for granted that like Casaurus coming from the san francisco shock and this roster together is going to be some amazing match when it comes to like coaching and you know team environment and philosophies and personalities in that regard so it's going to be very interesting and i'm not really taking anything for granted here um i want to go back to a few things that you you, you touched on here with these being you know they're going sophomores essentially rookie players going into their second year here um how hard is it actually to like be incredibly good in the overwatch league and actually win the overwatch league is there some kind of value to seniority in the league and being a veteran in the league and having experience in the league versus just being a contenders player a contenders team that is incredibly skilled incredibly talented like can you just like if so you know we've had this throughout overwatch league history we're just like well there's a few contenders teams that just beat the overwatch league teams in scrims and you know they they should be in the overwatch league well if you actually promote those teams 
would they actually with their inexperience just like come into the league and stomp teams or is there actually some kind of you know veteranship and experience that is valuable from having played multiple years in the league that's kind of like invaluable and that you don't really get taught in contenders so to speak it's you not intangible teams yeah. which teams are you talking about <laughs> well i mean teams would reference like o2 blast i mean i guess vancouver titans the runaway roster is a bit unfair because those players should have been in the league originally but um uh british hurricane when they were seeking contenders uh american tornado um and also i think it was the atlanta uh, academy Probably, team yeah. at some point they're really good so like there's been you know a handful of teams at least that have been hyper successful in contenders and, and people are just treating them that like they'll come into the league and just like be a top tier team um in actuality well you know it, is that fair like can any team kind of like succeed if they have the right personnel and if they have the right mechanical skill or I guess what I'm asking is like, when you're considering like the talent, do you value someone who's been in the league for two, three years? Do you think that, that they have a lot of value from being a veteran in that regard? It's a bit of an you know, intangible question, but I don't know if there's an answer, I, I, but... I, I, I mean, none of these players are rookies anymore. I think it's important to remember, right? They had their rookie seasons. I think that's what makes this roster more exciting than it would have been if it... Because for yeah. me, I think most of those teams, like you mentioned, right? Maybe not in all cases, maybe some of them could be better than this. I think most of them would end up being like middle of the pack. They'd be like better than the bad teams. And then like, you know, they do okay, but then they're not probably beating the best teams in the league because the best teams in the league are just as mechanically skilled and they probably also have better flexibility and they probably have like a better working relationship with staff. They probably have like all these other intangibles that make them stronger. And then on, and in the end, on the mechanical level, the players in the best teams are all monsters. So like you could be so sick mechanically at the game and contenders, but then you're just... You're, the best you're going to do is matching the best team. And then the best team is going to be able to play every meta. You might have some bad metas in the Overwatch League. You're, you're not as experienced. Your players are like more limited in their hero roles. Maybe they're more specialized. And then you get an unlucky meta for you. Like, you know, and then and then your, your season kind of wobbles. And then you end up being like that middle of the pack. You could get super lucky and have like the god meta in playoffs. But that's true for any team. And the very best teams, it's like, it feels like no matter what the meta is in the playoffs, they're still, they're still finding a way. You know? They're still like, finding a way to become, uh, to be a super strong team. All right. Yeah, I got a, I got a, did you have something you wanted to add, Costa? I was just going to say, I think Runaway was like an exception to the rule. I don't yeah. think you'll ever, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you'll ever see that happen again. They were a team that you said probably should have been in the league or like most of those players should have been in the league in season one. And I think the league was a lot less refined back then as well. There was a lot, there was, there, <laughs> there, yeah, yeah, there was, there were, there were some, you know, people out there and stuff like that. So right now is like fucking top tier there. Even the teams yeah. that we say are at the bottom, they are very, very good teams and very, very good players. So I don't think you'll ever see that same level of like sweeping an entire contenders team could come through. Maybe O2 Blast could put something together just because they really are the funnel for Korean talent. And, you know, we know how good Korean players are at Overwatch League and stuff like that. So maybe, but even at this point, I don't think a team could come in and be top tier. Yeah. I agree that the league has become very, very, very high level. There's no, there's very little weakness in the league. I mean, there's like a couple teams that are like hard budget. You probably beat, maybe you beat those with these like superstar contenders teams. But even the mid table teams are going to put up a serious fight. Um, oh yeah yeah so we're not giving this uh Toronto Defiant roster too much credit until they actually like go out and prove themselves that you know they can they can take this roster and um 
make something out of it because it, it is so so very hard to win the league um i do wanted to add one more question that's escaped me god damn it oh yeah uh Kasta, i'll ask i'll ask you the sports podcast question oh, right here biggest surprise to you sir majed being the third support or the fact that they didn't sign reiner as a second tank that that was something that i thought was interesting obviously i don't know the back end of it i'm sure jake and dante probably have a lot more insight into this kind of stuff <laughs> oh, like, it sounds really bad off the bat Costa. like there's some drama well, there there doesn't have well, to be yeah. drama well as i said it doesn't have to be drama but like i'm sure there's a reason that i don't have the answer to because like i'm not in that and I, as far as i'm aware so much is just a boy with those guys right like he just gets along with them all so i wouldn't be surprised if they were putting this team together and just like eh, sure Majed, you can jump in and i think he fills out the support role pretty well i, mean, I have the answer but I don't think it's very so. No, that's up to Reiner to talk about. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, I also think from a non-drama perspective, I don't think one, having one tank is a bad thing. I think it's like, it's really, that's a really interesting question for Overwatch 2. Do you have one tank or do you have two tanks? I think it's a super interesting question. I don't know if there's a right answer or wrong answer. I kind of like having one tank. Like the best case scenario is you have like one tank who is like hyperflex and is like actually super good at everything. But that's not entirely, it doesn't seem fully possible. Like everyone has their strengths and weaknesses on the tank role, especially now that there's more tanks, it becomes harder and harder to like actually cover everything. So there are always going to be heroes you're better at and worse at. So how much swapping will you really do on tank? I think it depends a lot on whether the 30% ult charge thing is kept for next season. Um, that would like heavily promote swapping and be a buff to solo tanks who can like just constantly swap back and forth and counter pick you over and over again. Um, but if that's gone, maybe it's like more viable to have your two tanks who come in for the, you know, you're going to be playing main tanks or for the most part, or, you know, you're going to be playing off tanks on the map. Um, but is it more valuable to have the synergy of one player always playing? So I think that would be continually an interesting debate to, to watch play out in the Overwatch League. Um, yeah. As time goes on in Overwatch 2, is, is it better to have one tank or two? I, I, don't, I don't know the answer. I don't think it's fair. Yeah, I think it definitely has its pros and cons. Um... Uh, like one example, um, a lot of metas like play out really similar. Like for Queen meta, um, it kind of or Queen and like the Winston Kiriko meta, it kind of felt like really similar. Even though I was on different heroes, um, a lot of it was just team play and ults and stuff. Um, Winston is just like really different like hero, but for the most part, like the, the experience I got on Queen really helped me play Winston in the last meta. Um, just because it's like so much team play, like oh, like cut their ult, like what are we back here, like then we can push with our ult, like we just always talking about planning and stuff. And that helped me out a lot. And if you're like an off tank player and you played the queen meta, and then like your main tank player plays the Winston meta, like you might not have like that might have been like an issue with Toronto. Like they were so used to playing with like Hoppa or something with the queen meta, and then they throw in Muse and like everything feels weird. So that could be a, like a disadvantage. And then like counter swapping and stuff. Um, if you only have your heroes that you play in your in your maps of scrims, then you might feel like less confident and play like like just not as much experience um going into these maps where you have to counter swap like there's a lot of maps where one tank is good for like a certain point or like a cough round and then you have to swap later so like solo tank has its like advantages um also knowing what the other team's going to play before they like when they choose their roster it's like oh they have off tank player and like we can expect zarya here or they have main tank uh, they're probably just gonna play winston um it, it telegraphs what you're gonna play so um, I think having a flexible roster is important, but also you'll never achieve um, being the best at a few heroes. Like I think you can be like the best at like three heroes, maybe. Like that—that's your limit. But if you have two players that are the best at three heroes, that's like covering you for like almost every meta. So 
it has its like advantages and disadvantages. Johnny, I want to go off script here because I want to ask Dante some questions. Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, are you going to be the solo tank for the gladiators? Uh, yeah. I would be right. solo tanking. Hell yeah, I wasn't expecting well, you. You just got the juice one. immediately. Yeah, yeah, what the I, 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 I was hoping he was. I mean, I mean, I it, it, it could change. Like, I could flop and then we could get another tank. Yeah, yeah, but for right now, that's where you are. Uh, the, the second one was how do you feel about the role switch? Because obviously, like, when you were with the Outlaws, you weren't really expecting to go into the tank role. Now you're pretty much like your career is essentially going into a tank player. Do you like the role or is this more out of like necessity for you? Um, I, I like the role. It's fun. Um, my only complaints were like queue times and stuff. And like in ranks, like just playing DPS is more fun. It's like the most fun role in the game. Um, but I, I do enjoy tank a lot. Like I think one thing that I really like about it is like I'm relearning the game. I'm like learning from a different perspective. I'm like trying to like really get good at these heroes. Like I was always like like strong at other heroes. Like but like I'm trying to like get like to the next level. Like good at pro play and the level like that level of goodness with these heroes. And I think it's really fun. Uh, it kind of like revives the game for me. Um, just really fun learning again. So what obviously like Junker Queen, like just like skill-based heroes where you're just a big DPS are probably gonna be easy for you. Like, how has it been learning to play Wrecking Ball and shit like that, which is like very just like more time investment than anything? Um, I actually haven't put that much time in a ball. Um I've been trying to practice Winston a lot because I feel like Winston is just always good in Overwatch. Um yes, the high ground maps, like it's an essential hero. Um uh, it'll be hard. Um, with heroes like ball because you just have to put so much time into it but um i, I have a lot of time right now um i went to la early uh, i've been trying to stream like eight hours every day so uh, i'm gonna try to put in the time now um get my base level up on like all the heroes that way in scrims i won't be like holding us back or anything that's that's my goal right now and then throughout this year hopefully i can develop a lot of different heroes like throughout the metas cool all right, I guess you just talked about the tank questions while we're gone. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, just, I, I, yeah. I, I just wanted to talk to Dante about no, that yeah, for it's sure. such an yeah, interesting I switch, yeah. yeah. The, I, I wanted to ask as well, was there ever a point in the offseason, Dante, where you, like, considered returning to, like, full-time damage player? Or did you see tank as the only viable option moving forward? Um, I was happy going to a team on any role. Um, it's just Gladi was the best option for me. Um, I, I could have probably joined a team as DPS, or even I could have joined a team as, like, a hybrid role where I played tank and DPS, like, they're DPS for them. But um, for me, Gladi was like the obvious pick. Um, really good team, good org. I get to live in LA, um, decent salary. Like they, it just has like everything that I want. Like at this point, I just want to like win. Um, I want to I want to win and I want to live somewhere nice. Like and um, playing on like a mixed team is nice. Um, like sometimes playing on like a full Korean team was like kind of hard because like. Um, I felt like bad in reviews and stuff because like, oh, if we review in English, no one knows what we're talking about. But then when you review in Korean, I'm like, shit, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, um, I, I like try to contribute a lot to review and stuff. Uh, so being on a full Korean roster is kind of hard, and I'm really excited to play with um, Westerners again. Yeah. You, okay. Just Go tangent on. on that. Do you think Hawk's gonna be okay on the Atlanta Rain? Oh like, my what god! Are your I was just that? going to ask that. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, um, <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's a hard task. Like it, it seems easier on paper, but it, it gets hard. Like J Jake could translate for me, Jeffo could translate, and Vichy could translate, but it still felt like there was like a big gap. Um, especially with like um things you wouldn't think about, like food and stuff. Um yeah. that was a big issue with our team. Like no one liked food, actually. All our Korean <laughs> players hated Houston food, and I'm pretty sure it'll probably be the same for Atlanta because it's like 
I don't know if they have good Korean food in that area, but oh, dude, bro, I we got the polar opposite when I was in, when I was the first couple of seasons of Apex. It was like with the French guys, they're just like let's the Swedish team as well, Misfits, just like let's go get Subway in Korea. And I was like, this is this is a crime. <laughs> we can't just have Subway every day, guys. Subway and Burger King, like we need Korean food. So. Yeah, it goes both ways I mean, in that regard. I think Dante, you're in like a special category though, because since Dante has allergies, like most Korean food, he literally can't eat. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, oh yeah, fair yeah, enough. Exactly, yeah. Right. So, so maybe it'll be easier. Yeah, some of those logistical things. But I think I think it's very true. Like the language barrier, it's really hard to do, especially you're like the one Western around team. I think it's really hard um, because uh, you're just feeling like it feels like isolating in a way, or like playing the game, you can feel like a little. It's like hard to you know calm a lot and be confident with it without. Um, but it yeah. depends, like, how good is the English for, like, the Korean guys on the team? I think that's a big variable. Because, um, obviously, Hawk is going to be coming in English, I would assume. Um, or well, not coming at all. People are saying that he can speak Korean. But, Jake, I think you'd be able to speak to this better than true? anyone else here. Like, I don't know. Like, there's a difference <laughs> between... I've seen multiple people say this. I'm like, oh, Hawk can speak Korean. And I'm like, okay, there's can a difference he, between mean, him, like, initially learning, right? Because, like, Jake, you've been learning Korean for a long time. Like, there's a big difference between just, like, being, you know, somewhat basically conversational and, like, being able to common Korean in Overwatch, right? Like... Yeah, you're not. I mean, some things you can come in Korean. It's like, I mean, some of the stuff is just like replacing a word, right? Like a lot of comms are just like one word comms, right? Like you could yeah. say, this guy's one HP. So in, in Overwatch comms, they say P, you know, like Lucio P is like, okay, you that I think anybody can learn. You don't have yeah. to speak Korean, really. You just, it's like, oh, okay. Like I just, that's like a, it's like a certain phrase. You have like fixed phrases, which is how most people, like if you're like a foreigner going to a foreign country, you can learn to say like, please and thank you. And where's the bathroom? You know, like you don't have to, it doesn't mean you speak the language. That, but that is, to be fair, in gaming, that gets you kind of a long way just to be able to say, like, this guy's won, you know, and then, like, left and right. Like, those things are very achievable. Yeah. I think where it gets really hard is strategy, review. Yeah. Reviews, um, yeah. Anything, anything where we're getting complex with it. We're talking about how should we be playing this? Like, you know, like, what do you think? You know, like, what heroes are the best here? Or what do you, what do you want to do with your hero? And then so when you get into the game, there are there is a need for complex plans. Like, yeah. When we back, we're going to kite their old. Where are we going to go with the kiting? What are we going to use to repush? You know, what skills am I? I'm going to hold my skill. Like, like you want to be able to make these like next level plans in Overwatch. I think like almost every pro player, a lot of pro players are are really. It's like that's a key skill in the game is being able to have like a very precise read. Like, okay, I know they're going to do this. I'm going to be playing here. I'm going to counter what they're going to do. You can play off my nade or whatever, right? Like, we have like a not a set strategy, but we have like my read of the game and then I can communicate it to you and then, Oh, we're on the same page and we're going to make a play. Like those little micro plays have so much impact in a game like overwatch and the, the team synergy needs to be like really on point for that. And that's really hard to communicate when there's a language barrier. Yeah. And that's, I think, I don't know, maybe if Hawk has like been learning Korean for years, maybe he could, but to me, it's like, I have no evidence. I'm not on the I'm, I've just heard this. That's making up propaganda, man. Like, I don't think that's real, but, um, I, I have like the experience, um, with the calls and stuff, um, in-game calls aren't that bad. Cause like a lot of them you can actually learn. Like I would just ask like Junkbuck and Jake, like to like help me with, um, words and stuff. And I, I learned a lot of keywords. So we probably talk, like in the beginning of the season, it was maybe like 60, 70% Korean, like 30, 40 English. I don't know. Maybe like it was somewhere like 60, 40, probably. Um, but then when we got lap, we started like full English. Um, but you like the planning is definitely the hardest, like fight planning. Um, I think what makes it hard is there's no, nowhere to stem off of. Like, 
Um, for me, like normally, like if you're like calming as a team, um, someone will say something and then you'll add on to it. You'll be like, oh, we can do this. We can do this. Like it's just like you build off each other, but you kind of lose that element. So you really have to like optimize your play. And like one habit I like made is I started looking around a lot. Um, I would just always like look around because um, I didn't know what was going on. Like like through comms, it's like half the time, like I didn't understand the stuff. Like I understood my keywords, but you still miss like a lot of information. So I started looking around a lot more. Um, like, it, I don't know. It's not, it's not too bad in game because like you like learn to deal with it, but just uh, like the planning and the review, all that stuff is like really hard. Yeah, I, I remember we had a thing on LA Valiant in 2018 where it would be like, me and Faye would be talking about something, we'd come to an agreement and then like, we'd have Brady translate to Kariv sometimes because Kariv would be like, I didn't understand what happened. It's like, Brady, you got to inform Kariv because he like, he had just understood how to communicate to each other. Like, it is really difficult making those adjustments like between halves and stuff like that of like, hey, they're doing this. We need to punish this by doing this. And that is hard to do if you don't speak just like basic yeah. languages because that context just gets lost in translation. Yeah, and the stuff like why do you want to do things? There's like a reason and a consequence yeah. or there's like a couple steps like we should do this and then that and we'll, I'll do this first and then you do that. You know, it's yeah. like those kind of like relationships require a decently nuanced understanding of the language to be able to communicate like cause and effect and, and like sequences of events, those things you need to be like pretty proficient in a language. That's, that's pretty high level communication in a way, not super high level, but you need to understand like grammatically understand the language. It needs to go beyond words. And I think getting to the words phase, like Don's just saying, that's pretty doable. I think for most, most people, if, if you care and you want to try, but um, which I would hope all pro players would, but then getting above words and getting into the grammatical way where you, you like can understand a sentence. <laughs> Good luck. Good yeah. luck. Like, I mean, you just need to you need to speak the language. Like you, you need to have like you just yeah. need to like take language lessons. It's not something you can just do with like you know like like we have tried to help on it. Okay, there's these key words that you can understand, but in the end, people want to say sentences that like have a relatively complex meaning. And so for Hawk, I think this will be a, a tough test for him for sure. But the team is super stacked. Maybe they can get by with like either. Just, it also depends a lot on how the, if the Korean players have like passable English, they just common English for the whole time. Yeah, like they're fine. You know. Yeah, I mean, Gator is also the, the coach, right? So Gator needs to communicate with. You know, yeah, so the I'm players, I'm so. more interested to see how yeah Gator does too. I don't know. I I guess, I, I don't so know what the young, staff is. Yeah, they have us. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Assistant yeah. coach. Yeah. So and he yeah, speaks. Will, he's bilingual. I think was it young? Why do I feel like that? I think, so. yeah, I think he's bilingual as well. I mean, yeah. If they picked him up, I feel like yes. He did some English content pieces too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would assume he's bilingual. I mean, they need. I would. I Yeah. So I, I kind of want to take this conversation, and I want to shift towards the past 2022 season with the Houston Outlaws. So sort of following up on that discussion, Dante. I mean, you spent most of the year pretty much just playing with Korean players on the Outlaws roster. Did uh, did you have any difficulties like communicating with that team? Um, and did you ever feel like? you struggle to sort of like fulfill the potential of the roster because you had those communication issues. Like sometimes you weren't on the same page as the rest of your teammates. Were there any struggles in that regard to being, you know, trying to communicate with your teammates? Um, yeah, there's, it definitely makes it harder. It's not impossible. It's just uh, a more difficult challenge. Like even like accent and stuff. Um, like sometimes someone will say something in English and like it takes like a second to realize what they said just because it's like, oh shit, like, that's what he said like i don't know you just notice like a second later because it's like just sounds like not normal to you um i don't know 
I, I kind of answered the question earlier, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. It's just like, it's just hard. It's not easy. It's an added thing to like a team element that it's just annoying that you don't really like want to account for. Like, come on, like we're, we're supposed to be able to communicate like fluently and share ideas. And this is like, as a competitor, you're like, you, we don't want to have to deal with this issue. Like we'd rather just get into the game and like improve upon what we know and, you know, practice our skills in that regard. But having to deal with communication, sharing of ideas, maybe that's um, a yeah. bit tough in that regard but it worked out in the end I mean you got third so you know something yeah. must have worked <laughs> I, I think it made things feel like very awkward because like I, I didn't know what to like talk of like it's so hard to like um, actually like bring conversation and like contribute when you don't know what other people are saying because like a lot of ideas come from like stemming from other people and not having that is like so hard it's like oh fuck like what, what went wrong like what's going wrong like I remember there was like times where um, like Iris and Lasher were talking to each other like there was one match specifically and I was like, yo, what are you guys talking about? Like, because, <laughs> like, if it's something, like, there's a lot of times there's, like, a tank player, like, you can help your supports, but, like, or just, like, anyone can help anyone in discussions and stuff. But if you don't know, it's like, oh, fuck, like, if our support's having a hard time, like, maybe I can just, like, try to mark their, like, tank more. Like, but, like, I don't know, like, what the issue is. And I, I think, like, we lost some games that maybe we wouldn't had to have lost, like, um, Toronto, for example. Um, like the second game of the season, like everyone's like, oh, Doom can't beat Winston and stuff. Like, I think we could have beat them like so easy if we just knew like what to do. Like um, we, we weren't that familiar with the matchup yet. But if like maybe we could talk about things more, like we could have adjusted our play. Um, I, I think in general, we didn't do that enough like in the beginning. But then we, we like started to do it more. But I, I think it, it does make a difference like in matches, especially when you need to adjust in real time. Like, I feel like matches is the test of that. Like, you really have to do it a lot. So, yeah, the other team comes prepared for your strategy and what you practice isn't working as well as you thought it would. And you need to adjust. Like, like it's exactly what you were mentioning, Custa. Like, doing that even in a scrim is hard with the language barrier, but in a match, it's like that no one can help you. You know, like, it's yeah, not no coaches, like it's, the yeah. match started. Like, we can, yeah. the coach can help you a little in the breaks, but it's like, in the end, it's so important that the players build off each other, like you said, Dante. Like, the players have to, the coach will come in and be like, all right, let's translate the conversation. That's never going to really, like, fix the problem. The coach has to actually know what the answer is and be able to, like, just do this. You know, then that can be enough. Because um, you can just, all right, tell the, you know, in Korean, here's what you do. In English, here's what you do. We're all doing this. This is the new plan, you know. So that can, it can be good if the coach has it. But a lot of times, like, the players are just as knowledgeable as the coaches, maybe, maybe more knowledgeable in, like, a feel of the game. And so for the to be able to communicate that feeling, that sense of like, I need to play this way. Like what I'm doing is really good. Like I need to keep doing this. Even though someone says, I need you to do something else. You need to also be able to say, no, no, no. Like what I'm doing is so good. Yeah. And then being able to like figure out what, what really is the right answer when two people have the different intuition about the game. And then yeah. you, you can kind of find that middle ground. Like, okay, I'll do what I'm doing, but then I'll play for this with that, when that skills up or whatever, you know, like you, you find us little, oh, okay. If I think this way, then I'm more ready for the way they're playing and I can I can respond well and we can deal with it. And that's that's a difficult communication challenge for anybody. So big test for Hawk this season. But I think Hawk is an exceptionally strong player. I rate him among yeah. the best on tanks. So, yeah, I agree. Um, I think he's really I think, insane. I think that team is going to be scary even if they're not speaking to each other. So <laughs> <laughs> Just turn off the guns, yeah. I'll be fine. <laughs> just, just go, guys. Yo, just yeah. kill them all. Like, fuck I, it. I think the best metas for them will be metas like Doom and stuff because like, I, I think... Doom being meta was like so perfect for us because I could like like while we were like building like the coordination and stuff, I could just like do my own thing and like do well and it didn't matter that much. It wasn't until like Queen meta that like team play and like all that stuff got like way more important. And luckily we used English for that time. Like um If it's like so. a go 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 meta, we just like 
we peek the corner and send it, then I think, yeah, you cons, it's like, whatever, man, just, just call when people are low. We're all just trying yeah. to kill each other really like, fast. When they but go the here, we dive. You, you have to dance. That's how I always think of those metas, like a dancing meta where you have to dance it. You go in and you go out and you go in and you go out. And it's like, who through this constant, like, flow back and forth eventually somebody is just a little walks forward a little too far doesn't back a little and then you're dead and you get yeah. snatched and you get pulled away from the core and you die and then like that was like the junker queen matter right you're dancing you're dancing you're dancing yeah. and the junker queen snatches you and you're dead and it's like who catches who gets the snatch who is like cleaner with the dancing that's who wins and in, in the end and that's that's the communication challenge of overwatch and those metas are relatively common basically any like rush meta is going to feel like that you, you have get to, like you don't people don't die instantly season. usually yeah or you don't solo kill in those metas i think that's the big difference if you can solo kill like doom can just go on the honest end and it's like who's better at the game the honest end or the doom the tracer you know that yeah just kill each other fast but long fights are hard we're, we're back to talking about hawk again but since you mentioned that it was so good is there anything like what, what do you appreciate about hawk the most is it purely this meme of like the jote like the jack of all tanks that like he's so flexible or is there something to maybe like the viewer the fans that is like very obvious that like this is something that they need to appreciate about hawk's play is there something you know specific a specific hero he's really good at um or is it just more like the way he thinks about the game his ideas like what 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 makes hawk stand out so much to you guys I think he's really good at um, aggressive metas and styles, um, like like really like Atlanta style. Um, I think he's really good at those. But I think it is um, weird because a lot of that team is APAC and they play like a really opposite style. So I wonder how the team will actually play. Um, like APAC is always like playing like so passive and like baity and stuff, especially in dive metas. Makes me wonder um, like if they'll run into any stylistic issues. Um, I'm sure they can like overcome it because they're all really good players, but. Um, they do play very different styles, but I think that's what Hawk excels at, like the aggressive, like suffocating style. He's like really good at um, like Diva and stuff. Um, his Diva is so aggressive. Um, I don't know if you watch their match as much, but um, screaming against them, um, it was pretty hard to deal with them on Diva. Um, his Zarya is really good too. I, I think traditional off tanks, he's just really strong at. I think mechanically he's super strong as well and a smart player. Like he uses his abilities really well and stuff. So. In the end, he's just like a very like an all-around strong player. That's what you need on tank. I don't think tanks like on DPS you can just be like a monster mechanically, or, or you you know like you could be like. I mean, in the end, that's like all the like ninety percent of DPS is just being mechanically super sick at the game. But then, or you could be a DPS whose identity is like this certain specialty hero, and then you're like really good at these like specialty heroes. Like I would take like I don't know speedily as an example of that. Like he's just like okay, he's like a monster on Echo. So when Echo's good, I mean speedily can play a lot of heroes, but like Echo would be like. Maybe last season, at least, was like his signature hero. You're like expecting to see him come out on because he like one tricked him for so long and ranked. It was like ranked one a bunch. Um, but then on for Hawk, it's like okay, he's has that mechanical high level, and then also is like, I, I, in my opinion, is a very smart player. Like he seems to like adapt well to the situation. So yeah, um, actually, a few years ago, like maybe it's like three years ago, before season three, um, I tried out for Atlanta. Um, uh, one thing I remember about Hawk, um, he's just like a really good listener and he'll like die for you. Like if I say, uh, like, can you, can you go down? Like he'll be like, oh yeah, I can go. Like he's like always trying to like plan stuff. Um, he's a really good calmer. Um, at least that's um, what I got and the impression in the tryout. Um, he seems easy to coordinate. So that could be good. But who knows if he'll be able to use that with um, the whole green roster because it has his like difficulties. But that's just something I noted from him. Yeah. 
you play, you actually played Atlanta Rain quite a few times this past season, and it usually ended with like very entertaining outcomes as well. For example, uh, Hawk Despair being one of them. C9. C9 Oh, that was so good! That might have been the greatest C9 of, of Overwatch history. Dude, I remember... The most unreal. I, I was like, we were like, oh, it's like, it's like, like, Dude, like the... 10 seconds or more. Oh, fuck, we the C9 bar, it was like, it was going like so fast, but I swear to God, I saw that in slow motion. Like, I, I was just like, I was dead I and I looked up, <laughs> like, like the second it started taking down, I'm like, oh my God, it's going down, it's going down, it's, they're going to C9. And they C9, I was like, oh, C9. <laughs> oh my God. We were going to sound better that, oh, uh, C9. <laughs> like, uh, put it on the sound bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just run it every time it happens. Yeah, I, no, that, I, I know, I know game planning and all is a bit of a meme and like no team actually like game plan specifically, but like, did, did you go into Atlanta Rain and Hawk just like, oh, Hawk does this really well. We need to like be aware of this or was there anything of that kind when you play Atlanta Rain? Not really. We just we were knew to like... in that series, right? It was like, yeah, it was like Doom Mirror. Yeah. I think like, uh, fuck it, be better than Moon. Yeah. In, in Queen meta, we're like, oh, maybe like expect them to play like really aggressive and brain dead because it's like Atlanta style, like just go in. <laughs> All right. But... <laughs> yep. Yep. Fair enough. I, I don't know. We, we didn't like think too much about one player. Yeah. And, I mean, and... it's bad to do that to like actually try to over anticipate. You just have to see what they're doing and then in the match. Like, yeah. yeah. And people are. The only good thing to think about is if there's like a, you just don't respect the player on their team and they're like, so like some really weak player, you can just punish them aggressively. But then, like, usually that's pretty rare. So, like, yeah, these days, especially. Yeah, these days it doesn't really happen. So you just, you just play your game. And then the key is like, from a coaching perspective, it's like, okay, I'm watching the game to see if I can like notice something from their play style. But you can't go into the game thinking like we already know how they're gonna play. Like that. That's oh my god, teams would actually try to do that with like me and Doom. Do you remember Jake? Like teams would play so baity against us. Like Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember in the ball meta, like they literally like didn't engage on us once. Like they were yeah, just they waiting to counter dive the Washington whole time. Special. So yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they were yeah. they were just waiting. Like I was like, okay, we're just never gonna go. Like they're not <laughs> doing anything with left clicks. Like yeah, uh, yeah. how does that sound insane. familiar? Um, just, yeah, uh, sometimes we're so baity, actually, just like thinking that I was just like I was like super aggressive. I think that's like a, a very outdated mindset. I think that was true in like the earlier seasons when players, they're just worse players. You could like know what they're gonna do ahead of time, but that's like you're just like you're such a bad player now if, if if any team could like accurately know how you're going to play before the game starts like holy fuck that's such a disadvantage so yeah you have to be able to read the game and adapt like even hawk is like he's not going to feed you know even if he wants to push in he's like if you're like yeah, playing yeah. obviously baiting style he's not going to feed you know like yeah oh wait i, I want to pull it back around to you guys in the houston outlaws because you guys finished third in the playoffs, which was like by far the houston outlaws best performance in the year like you guys were a great team <laughs> but like in scrims were you guys like, holy shit, we're good, we could be top three, or did you just kind of have like a miracle run through the playoffs? This is a bit of uh, a <laughs> uh, Honestly, uh, we were like actually, kind of cheese playoffs the whole time. Like we were playing like yeah. Arista Hog and scrims, and it was just so hard. Like Winston was just too strong. The Winston comp. Yeah, and, like, we it was interesting. Win. Like some teams we like actually destroyed playing like we well, I guess it doesn't matter now. We we're playing like Arissa. Uh, we we're playing Arissa basically, like uh, uh, and just like running them over and like punishing the Winston super hard. And sometimes we actually like, we like rolled them and it was like, oh shit, maybe this is actually really good. Like maybe we can win. And then we played Dallas and it's like, oh, you know, you got zero six. And that's, because right. <laughs> yeah. we don't beat the Winston comp actually. If they play like Dallas does, we just cannot win. They're, I mean, I think that came down to Fearless being like so insanely good at Winston. And we're just like, all right, we need to play Winston. 
And also yeah. the old cycles, like playing any other heroes. We tried to play like BAP because like, okay, we need more heals. There is a comp and it's like, okay, the Kirkle is like automatically winning and we just literally cannot. There's like, the Primal is not a win. The Kirk is not a win. At some point we need to win some fights. Yeah. Like not, we just can't. We can win the no all fight. And so that like all of our cheesing, you know, Dante, it all paid off because all of our cheesing for, for weeks and weeks before playoffs prepared us to win Mecha Base. Actually. <laughs> Mecha Base. And so we could beat Shock the, the first time on on with the three flavor strat on Busan, the one yeah. hog, one Winston, one Arista. I remember that one actually. That was that was spicy. But um, we, we were like masters of Mecha Base because we played only that comp for like every <laughs> single map for two weeks. So like we we're not gonna fucking we were coming out strong on Mecha Base, that's for sure. Yeah. In hindsight, I, I actually think maybe we could have made the Arissa work a little bit more if we tried it with the Kirko on like the mm -hmm. points where Arissa was like really good, like on Koth maps where you like brawl really hard and like first fight, like they can't like fight us actually. So I think maybe we could have made it work with the um Kiriko. And then yeah, we could have just like walls for later. Arissa to like actually like destroy your backline and just get like be really threatening solo kills. And like doesn't have to cross too much open space then i agree i think the, the comp actually had a little more potential but in the end it would have been like 10 percent of the maps or 20 percent of the maps you know like maybe there's more than mecha base but with yeah. Kirko, but yeah in the end i think it's still a flawed comp in a way like the wins the wins the team eventually will pick you apart like they can't kill the erisa but everyone else is like <laughs> i hope they don't go on me like yeah, yeah. <laughs> So is this like a prime example of what we were talking about earlier, where it's like there potentially was a better comp on certain maps, but you're better off just getting good at the Winston Kiriko stuff so that you can apply it everywhere? Because that's kind of what Dallas did. And like they did the same thing. I actually heard they did the exact same thing to Soul Dynasty. Soul Dynasty was playing Roadhog everywhere in the playoffs. They were doing quite well. And then they played Dallas. And that's one of the reasons that Soul actually played poorly is they they had the same issue. They played Dallas in scrims. They got fucking 6 0 And then they're like, well, we got to go to Winston. And then they were so far behind that they couldn't catch up uh that kind of happened to us um but like luckily we caught up fast like it was like a natural comp for us it felt a lot like kiriko meta for me uh, or not kiriko um like queen meta mm -hmm. so i think we adjusted fast um i don't know i remember our first time we played winston we're like oh shit like we've like full held like shanghai or something like yeah, the first time we ever well, locked like, oh. yeah. <laughs> first time we locked winston we were like just full held shanghai we're like oh shit okay maybe we could actually <laughs> do good and yeah. then we just started playing promo Winston for like a we, few days. We also had a really weird style, I think, that helped us a lot with the Winston. We, we, our, our game plan with Winston was like very different than how it was in the end. Like in the end, we realized our style was like inferior and we had to change. And it was like too late to catch up to like Shock and Dallas when we had to play them at the end. Um, I like because they they were just like too, they had played the style for longer than us and they were way better than us. Um, and I also think that style in a way is like more way more difficult for winston where our, in the beginning our style was like winston uh, we send dante at the sojourn and then we just like run it down mid with everyone else and then like we we killed them a lot doing this because the winston isn't going to die doing that most of the time and and back then the sojourns like the adaptation was the proper slide where if you go on the sojourn she just goes into your back line and they just fight to the death and your winston's out of the fight for a few seconds and you're probably going to lose but before people adapted that way our, their sojourns would like run away from our Winston and then the sojourn is like out of the fight completely and our Reaper and sojourn are like just absolutely destroying you in the front line because there's no sojourn to shoot our Reaper. So he's like crazy man, uncontested, killing you all. And then your Reaper's scared because our sojourn is also in his face. So that allowed us like roll a lot of teams when we first started. And then I think the the meta the meta shift, I think it was like Edison and Proper both were like maybe like the first yeah, I think Edison started hard it. sliding in. I think yeah. Edison started and then Proper immediately adapted the like hard slide in when you go on him if you yeah. go if he's in the if he's in the high ground or backline he's going to your backline if you jump on him and that made that play style like not viable anymore but 
I think that helped us a lot. Um, so it's a little column A, little column B. I also feel that we were talking about this a lot is the Reaper gene. That's why we did well in the playoffs. The Reaper uh, yeah. is the understated hero of the playoffs, I think. The, the yeah. un- understated hero because there's so many great players, like, like Kevster, I would say, is a great example, who I don't think he has the Reaper gene. Because yeah. the way Reaper is as a hey, hero, that's my teammate. What the fuck? No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a beast. I mean, nah, you, you can tell me if you can, if you can convince, him, if you can teach him the Reaper gene. That's why I call it the gene because it doesn't feel teachable. It's like the way you have yeah, to play yeah, Reaper is mean. you have to get one hit sometimes. You have to die in one headshot sometimes because if you don't ever die to the one Sojourn headshot, you're not you're like you're not doing anything. Like you have to just walk into the Sojourn or like the Sojourn is shooting you, and you have to just like walk into the Winston and just like believe that the soldier is going to miss because if you wraith because the soldier has a rail shot charge like you're just you're just you're you wraith out and then the game team fight's over so i think for us pelican is like for me i think pelican was the number one reaper playoffs or in general because he he was like willing to die sometimes he's like okay sometimes he gets one hit but he doesn't stop playing this way where he's like i'm gonna go in and kill you all and like if i'm one hp i'm like I'll wraith, I'll get healed, and I'll, I'll come out of the wraith and I'll kill you all because I just won't die. I'll get healed, I'll get lifesteal, and I'll, I'll win the one you want to Reaper. Like, you have to play with this mindset because whoever, whoever, Reaper's a snowball hero, whoever backs off, whoever runs away is like giving up in a way. Like, you, you've, oh, you've almost already lost if you run away on Reaper. Um, even if you like, you survive, you took, you took damage, you run away, you live, you come back to the fight. It's like you already lost because now your, your whole team is choked out. Everybody gets bullied if their Reaper has, has, you know, you know, you seen that? What's the the movie? It's like originally a play. Glen Glen Gary, Glen Ross. You know, you know what it takes to sell real estate? A pair of brass balls. You know, what it takes to play Reaper. A pair of brass balls. Man. You gotta you gotta have no fear in your in your body to play Reaper. So that was my that's that's how I look at the playoffs. A lot of Reapers were like playing this tactical way. Oh, I'm I'm low, or they have a real shot. I have to raid. I have to hide. It's like no, you have to kill. Maybe you die. Maybe you kill. You have to take. You have to spin the wheel. That's interesting. Dante, I have a question specifically for you in that as well, because like Winston is a hard hero to play, especially when you're going up against the likes of like Fearless and Smurf and those kind of guys. Like, how was that like instant adaptation of like, hey, man, you got to play Winston in the playoffs now. Like, did you pick it up pretty easily? Were you confident in yourself? Do you are you um, happy with how you played? Uh, yeah, in, in hindsight, I'm pretty happy with how it went. Um, it, I think. Winston was easier because it was an alt meta. Um, so the most important thing is like coordination and teamwork and stuff. Um, just like knowing how we want to fight plan. So it made it easy. Like even though like my mechanics and stuff and bubbles, like all that stuff was like lacking. Um, good team play like made up for it. And we were like, like I think we were one of the teams that was stronger at team play. We, we were pretty good at it. Um, so that made up for it. Um, I was a little stressed uh, swapping Winston like a few days before the matches because it's like I barely played Winston at all. Um, so it was a bit stressful. But I mean, I met you I, in the hallways and you were just like laughing, just like, I played this hero like one week. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> in a good uh, way, you worked it out. But... Uh, um, I don't know. I, I was ready because like after trying Orisa for so long, it just wasn't working against like the really, really good teams. And we like tried Doom for a little bit too. And Doom, it, it was like only working against the bad teams. So um, it felt like we needed to play Winston. And I, I was like, I was stressed, but I was excited because I was like, oh, like we can actually win because like our results got a bit better when we started playing Winston. And then, yeah. Yeah, I think beating Shock the first time was like, that's in the end, it's like beating Toronto. I think Toronto was kind of like weak in playoffs. And then, yeah. but once we beat, we beat Shock and then we got to play London Spitfire, we're like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> <Actually. laughs> like, we did good. We did good.
Yeah, so, right. I, I, a bit of a loaded question, I suppose, then. But, like, what really separated the Houston Outlaws this playoffs where you got third and, like, the many years prior where, like, you struggled? And I think. Oh, there's a couple, lot. Couple, uh, yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I think Houston were out, like, first losing to Boston Uprising in, like, a play in series or something. <laughs> so, like, there's. It, it's hilarious, like, what a big turnaround it's been. So, a bit of a loaded question because there's obviously so much to it. But, like, when you make that transformation as a team, what separates, like, the weaker teams in that regard and like you know because you were there Dante like you were you were practicing you were like in that day-to-day -day experience like what did that feel like compared to like playing for this team and like making third and like what were some of the big difference maker in terms of like um you know like how you approach the game and like your goals and like what you really emphasized on like why 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 did it feel like this year was like really it was it as simple as like well we had this player like pelican who was really fantastic at reaper and he gave us an edge which was massive for us or were there like team play going into it like your team play this year was like just way better than it was in 2020 team chemistry like there's so much that goes into it but what really stood out to you is like the most important factors why you were successful this playoffs compared to struggling in the past um, I think it all starts from the top. Um, I think uh, when we got Junkbug is kind of when it turned around. We got Junkbug and Jake. Um, I think our team really struggled direction before. I, it got better with Harsha actually in season three, but we we're still like lacking a lot. Um, we saw players on like God contracts and like couldn't get the players we wanted and stuff. And teams like players didn't want to join us and stuff. But when we got Junkbug and stuff, um, Junkbug, Jake, like um, got some players like happy it made our team like more desirable to join um and i think that's when it starts to turn around like you get the players that you want to get um and then junk book is like a really good coach um same with jake uh, both like did a really good job in the coaching i, I think it makes like a huge difference uh, for bringing a team together and like um making like less mistakes like um and then i think like the final step is getting the good players um it's hard to get good players when you're not proven or like a bad team but every year, like, you have a decent season. Um, it makes it more, like, people are more willing to join. Uh, people don't want to join bad teams. Um, so I think just getting the good players and having good coaching helped a lot. That was, like, what turned it around. Um, good players can adapt to, like, different situations, have good teamwork. They can be good at, like, different matters and stuff. So that's, like, the big thing. Those two things. Yeah, I don't I mean, know about Jake's I highlighted Pelican on Reaper, but I think like for me that's just like the, the that one player who's like super good can only shine if the rest of your team is also strong. Like if you have like some weakness in your team, you could have like a god player and they're just not they're like okay, your support's dead every fight. You're like you're gonna lose. Like it doesn't matter. Like they, they, you can't expect your player to always always get a kill like that if you have like this weakness on your team. So in the end, it's like has to be this universal strength of players um, where everybody is contributing well. Everybody is like consistent and strong and there's not there's no weaknesses on your team um to where you have that like really good result so like we had pelican on reaper but we also have merit on sojourn which i think was like his best hero this season and he's one of the best sojourns in the league i think uh lastro for me actually lastro on lucio i thought i still think he's like super super good um on main support i think lastro for me is like i rate him as one of the i have like one of the highest ratings of all support players in the game for lastro because really? i think his flex support I is agree. like i think his flex wow. support is elite like i think his flex support is is like true, true elite in the, within the S tier or whatever. And then the fact that his main sport is also good, in my opinion, that, that to me is so big. Yeah, like Lastro was so hard on himself of like, oh, like, you know, like, but I, I still think like his calls are really good. His gameplay is really good. Like he, he, he's, it's very rare that there's something like, I would think like 
I think like Violet is in a similar category of a player who can play everything on the support role and also be super, super good at it. But like, there's not many of those players. Like almost every support player is like more limited to flex or more limited to main support. There's very, very few players who are like last round Violet who are like true hyper flex on support. It's like people talk about, you know, whatever profit or whoever on, on DPS, right? There's lots of, there's like a few DPS players, Capture, who play literally everything and they play it super well. Um, and 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 I think like for for support that's 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 just as valuable in Overwatch too. Yeah, especially uh, with the double flex support that's coming out. I think Lasher is like a god gamer. Like he gets like top ten in Valorant. Like he's like high rank yeah, in league. Yeah. Like he's just gamer. like high. high... <laughs> yeah, he gets. Yeah, yeah, like... like a top ten radiant player by the way. Or, or, like, no, not always, but like he, he like. But he's got. He can like, get he's it. Normally, yeah. He's normally like top hundred in radiant. Like he's just like good at like everything he plays. Wow. And like he has like a lot of good um, attributes for a team. Like. Not only is it like really skilled mechanically, but he has like a good understanding of team play and he knows how to call well. Like even in English, like he like still made good calls and like he just understands like the game flow and like can communicate really well, which is like yeah. rare to have like someone that's like insane mechanically and can do that. Like it provides yeah. a lot for a team. Is that one of the reasons you wanted to join Gladiators? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love Lasha. <laughs> he's like he's a good teammate, he's like funny. Um yeah, he's, like, he has good too. energy, yeah. And like it's funny because um Apparently on Valiant he had like a really bad attitude. Like he was like really toxic. He was like one of those just like like boom the team players. But then like he's just like one of the nicest people I know. He's like super positive, great like teammate. So I think it's like really cool to see someone. Like, yeah, come I love like working that. with with Lastro last year. I know like I heard those rumors from Valiant too, but I I had I was super happy working with him as a coach. It was like super easy to work with. I mean. Every, like, I want a player with some ego. Like, I don't want a player who's, like, low confidence. You know, for me, that's, like, the worst thing. So, but I don't think, but I, like, Lastro's not, like, out of control. I mean, he's, like, confident in his skills. He knows he's a good player. But I, I was more wanting him to, like, build him up and make sure he knows he's, like, that good on main support because I, I did rate him that high throughout this. All right. Yeah. Because you had anything to add? Because otherwise, yeah, uh, yeah I, I had a different question. So, you know, I, I, I've been playing very nice as a host so far. And, you know, we've been celebrating your playoffs, you know, third place and everything else as that. But you could make the argument that before the playoffs, the, 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 the performances, you know, in the tournaments, in the regular season, like it was, you know, quite not like legit star team level. It was, you know, a little bit better than mid, perhaps. You know, you didn't really get that big playoff run in any stage and you know to be fair to you you did lose to you know top three teams at almost every stage like you lost to the shock you lost to the gladiators you lost to toronto in junker queen meta how how did it feel like throughout the season um as the team before you got that big pop-off successful moment in the playoffs did you feel like you had any struggles in the regular season did you feel like you know you you, could, you weren't to blame because you did lose to legitimately great teams what were sort of like the mid-season vibes as you were going through these stages but not quite making top three at these tournaments at all um okay so stage one we were actually super fucking good like the lucio moira doom stuff like we were beating like every team with it except for like we we didn't realize in the moment but doom was like really good against that comp because like they just like doom marks me and like he can get like never he'll never die against lucio moira and we were playing against all the Winston teams. Like we were like hard winning blocks, like like five one six zero, like every single time. Um, but we didn't really think about the like doom. So that was unfortunate. Um, I I think we could have done way better that stage. Um, but we just played Gladi first. Like if we played other teams, I think it would have been like a way different story for that first tournament. Um, 
stage two, I think we also could have been really good. Like, it was like Doom double flex support. That was like just our meta. And I think we just like choked in the match against Atlanta. Like, on paper, I really think we should win that. Um, unfortunately, we lost. Um, Queen meta it happens. I think Toronto just played better than us. Like, so you didn't really the... feel like you you were missing something. There were no like frustrations within the team that you were. I mean, we, we were frustrated. Like everyone's frustrated. Like like when you lose like that, like there's not a single person that isn't frustrated. But I, I think we just fucked up like the first two stages. I think we could have been really good at those metas. How yeah. much is it? The... Yeah, go on, Jake. Sorry. Yeah, one one thing I felt is interesting for us is like, well, I guess. Is can be a good thing or a bad thing. Like, yeah, we had those two, like, where's like should have won those, kind of fucked up or whatever. Uh, but I think the first stage was like, okay, like, we had like we like missed the read, I guess, of like the enemy enemy doom style could beat us playing like a defensive doom style. Um, but one of the things I think was, I don't know, like, like we never had a terrible stage. I think that was like good for us actually a lot. Like, so that made us like more ready to succeed in playoffs because while we never had like the winning playoff stage that we wanted in like the earlier stages where we like really get like really really high in the playoffs we also never had like a getting destroyed stage where a lot of teams actually did have like really bad stages like and then the rest of their stages were super good like i think dallas had only one or two stages were really bad and maybe shock had a bad stage something like that um yeah i can't remember which probably the double flex support Dallas was like really weak um you know these are like predictable weaknesses i guess but for us we never we were like we never had like that really bad result either even though we never had the really good result. So it, it was always clear, I think, that we like were, were that we had like the potential as a team. Like there was we never were like falling apart, I feel. Like we were always like, oh, we're, we're missing our target. We need we want to do better than this. But it's a very different situation to be in where then when you're getting like hard stomped. You're getting like hard stomped for a long time. That can like break your spirit as a team and can kind of like make and like make people not trust each other, make people think each other are bad at the game. Um but um, yeah, I think I think uh, the fact that we always had like it was like never never the performance we wanted. We weren't, but we were also just we we're right on the cusp. We we're like we want to be onto the next level, but we're not like down here trying to like climb to that point. You know, we're like oh, we're just like falling at the last hurdle. It's better than falling at the first hurdle. You know, like so that's and then like as a player, I think not that you speak to this too. Like being being on much worse teams, it can be worse. Like it can oh, be worse. It, that's, no, that's no, you don't know how bad it is getting full held every day in scrims against like every good team. Like I remember, oh, we get the scrim shocked today. I was like, no, you just get full held every map when you're on season two outlaws. It's so depressing. Like it's so like lose like when your job is to be a pro player, you want to be like the best, and you just go to scrims just to lose every day. It's like no, I just want to go play ranked. Like I don't want to play in our scrims. Like it's just so depressing, actually. Because you're in that yeah. hole, right? And you can't get out. Like, it's like, how do you even improve from there when you're getting full yeah. health? There's like so many steps you need to get to, uh, right? And then you have like already players that are like underwhelming that are just mental booming. And it's like, oh God, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like unrecoverable. Just mental GG. Every, and, then, and then that's where the mental booms and then people are like not trusting each other anymore, not yeah. calming as much anymore. And then it gets yeah. worse and worse and worse. So like, what's what's the 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 danger like even though we, our results weren't what we wanted for for most of the season until playoffs um and even, you know obviously we, yeah so whatever our results are not exactly what we wanted there's a difference between being like at that middle and being underwater like it can snowball downwards too it can, the exponential like when you win everything and you you like on the top of the world that you can become stronger and stronger and stronger but when you lose everything getting super destroyed you get weaker and weaker yeah. and weaker and so we were always kind of like 
you know, we're just going along on that midline for a long time. And although that's like painful and stressful, it can be a lot worse. And we like maintained throughout the season. We had like the endurance to get through it all. And then like it came around and like Dante said, like our strengths kind of came together in the end where Dante was on an uncomfortable hero for him on Winston, but everyone else I think was on a hero that they were pretty solid on and comfortable on. I guess creative had to learn, everyone had to learn Kiriko. So I would say that's kind of an X factor, um, but that was for every single team. And then um, it was just like what your play style is naturally as a player and you hope it's the meta, you hope it's right because nobody really knows in the beginning. Um, but then everyone else was like comfortable on their heroes and we were like already really good at like, like some of the key aspects of the meta, like Dante said, the team play and like the the, feet, the flow of the game, the ultimate tracking and the the flowing of the team fights, how we're gonna how we're gonna counter fight and how we're gonna you know back and, and refight. So staying at that, staying with our head above water for a long time, treading water, it, there's like we we never slipped under the surface, and I think that's like the key to our success. Yeah, that that's part of why, and I'll, I'll name drop them so you guys don't have to, but like. A team like Vegas Eternal going into next season. I'm like, all right, you might have these talented players that like contenders coaches are raving about. Even like Overwatch League players are raving about just like, yeah, Dove, Lucimino, like these are really talented players. Like they're better than what the results showed. I'm just like, sure, that might be true. But if you guys are like gonna dig yourself out of this hole that like you couldn't get out of last season, that's a testament to like discipline and like structure and like you know, player improvement, because what I'm scared of is that they're just going to go back next season and sort of be, have the same chemistry, have the same practice regiment, the same structure as they had last year. And just like getting above water, so to speak, to follow your, you know, speak, Jake, it's so difficult to get out of that hole. Um, and so they're just running it back with a roster that like didn't work. I'm like, okay, like if you actually succeed and like fulfill that potential, that is going to be, you know, a huge testament yeah. to them. I have to give them tons of credit because it's so hard to just yourself get out of that hole unless you go for like roster changes or, you know, team changes or something drastic to sort of like force that change upon the team instead. Well, they're trying to be London Spitfire, right? Like that's, uh, they're trying to follow <laughs> that same template of like, hey, we had a bad season sure. last year. <laughs> we'll keep some of our players that we think are talented and we'll get a new coach, we'll restructure and then hopefully these players will be out with that. I'm just saying like, that's very hard cuss up. So Oh no, I, I agree yeah, with you. Like, I'll be surprised. I, 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 I that's think what it's I'll like, say. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be surprised. surprised. Good luck to them. Yeah, yeah, I think being in their situation is like really depressing. Like uh like playing on like a minimum budget team. Um that's like pretty depressing. Like you're not even making like I mean you're making like decent money. It's not bad, but um for like the way you feel, it's not really worth it in my opinion. Like if you're losing every scrim, then like you're just gonna feel bad every day like it's not fun um and like if you're like the best player on that team like when you're losing and like looking bad because like your team isn't good enough it's like pretty depressing actually um especially when you don't have much hope for like getting new players and stuff um i'm sure like they'll probably like have a good feeling in the beginning of the season like new coach um a couple new players but um i think as soon as like they lose a couple games like that's when it gets really hard it's like oh fuck like another season of this like we have to go through this again. Like, it, like losing is just one of the worst feelings that you have. Yeah, like, winning is you everything. Have that, that's, yeah. my, that's my view as, as somebody who's so focused on, like, in general in the gaming community on, like, oh, like, you know, like, you gotta live a good lifestyle and, like, and, like, think about all these intangibles. In the end, I've come around to the belief that winning is absolutely everything. If you, if you don't win, everyone's gonna mental boom. You shouldn't even be here if you don't, if that's not what you, the way your mindset is because, like, yeah, it's just, like, that's that's the way it is. Like, it's competitive the results are everything look at any competitive sport ever 
you know, like it's, it, you have to win. It's win or go home yeah. in the end. And like to just sit there and just lose the whole time and feel like you're never going to win. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like Dante said, they have like, everyone's going to be okay at the start of the season. The question is if they, if they get, I mean, if they pop off first stage, who knows, maybe they can have a decent season, but realistically, if they go worse than 50, 50, the first stage, I mean, maybe for, for them, even getting like a few wins on good teams is going to feel like an improvement. Maybe they can like have some field if they can set the expectations that way. Like, like I think London Spitfire is exceptional in a way. And maybe that's a, a role model that they can follow where they're like, even though they're taking a beating sometimes, they're like, keep believing in the style. And then they eventually like get it to a point where it's okay. You know, and they, I think they did great results in the playoffs for like what that team was and like how they were just kind of like specialty playing comfort heroes most of the season. They made it work. And, and so... But I think the challenge for, for the Vegas Eternal is that, to me, they weren't Linus Bifar. They were never like a team with like a weird specialty style that they were going to force. They were just playing the meta, but worse than other teams. So it, that it's, it's a very scary thing to be Chengdu Hunters, to be Linus Bifar. It's very scary to be a team who's like, we're just not going to play the meta because you have to, it takes a strong mental and a great coach because I think you need to accept that you're not the best team, which I think is very hard. You need to accept that you have no hope of being the best team. Because if you want to win the like win Overwatch League playoffs, you should be playing the meta, like because it's really strong. You should be playing what is winning the games, and then believing that you're the better players and that you can like reach the top with this best comp. But if you you have to accept that you are just never going to do that, it's it's hopeless. Then you play the cheese comps, and then like if you really can do that and not mental boom that you're not the best team, you can accept that and not mental boom. Then you have this like weird possibility of being a weird team that people don't understand and. Nobody practices against you. Nobody understands what you're playing, and, and you understand it really well. There is a way, but you're 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 dreaming of London getting what did London get like top six, five six? Is that, is that yeah, they got top six, I think, in the end of the playoffs. That's the dream. That's the that's the yeah. ceiling. Yeah. Because eventually, it's like even London, like London goes against us, and we like absolutely slaughter them in the top of the playoffs, right? Like they got absolutely beaten down, and they were like mental boom from that game. I, I mean, I'm sure that game was like, like we were like they had no hope that game. I mean, it was like yeah. we, we crushed them. And it was like we were excited. I was, I was like hyping the guys up. Like, guys, we're gonna destroy them. They're they're they they're hyped on their dreams. It's been such a good season. <laughs> oh no! Home in a body bag, like it's over for them. Now. You know, I'm like because wow. we, we go into that. That it's like you I don't know. The only person that understood that was me. <laughs> what? Yeah. The only person that understood that was me. Like all Koreans. Yeah. Like, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no I guarantee you. I was talking with the with the Koreans too. Korean. Uh, like I was. Oh, you're saying Korean? Okay. Yeah. I, that, I, that's it's like worse. so important you have that it you does. have that killer yeah. mindset as well but but i think that's the thing for london it's like you can you can cheese a long way and if you're like it's very impressive that they were able to do that and in my opinion i have a lot of respect for london and all the guys who are able to bring it together because mentally that is so hard mentally it is so hard to keep playing ryan when some team just like hyper destroys you playing another comp you're like holy fuck like we, we can't play ryan anymore guys but where do you like, go from here yeah we yeah. can make it work like we can make it work guys and, and I think that if Vegas can do that, I'll be impressed. Cause I think that's, you can't just say, Oh, let's be London guys. Like, no, no, no. That's very hard. You have to be extremely good at the heroes you're, you're forcing to make it, to make it even, even get the top six. I, I think it's really interesting because uh, Yiska did an interview with the GMs recently. That was actually really interesting. If you haven't listened to it. Uh, and he, Baroy actually said, it's like every team has like a variance, right? And London Spitfire, like, lived up to the maximum of their variance, right? Their best was we can finish fifth or sixth place, but there was a world in which they finished like 15th, right? There's that variance of like, they could end up anywhere. And I, my fear for this Paris Eternal team is the bottom is definitely 20th. Like they, they could finish last. And then, but I don't think their variance goes super high. If they can set those expectations realistically of like, hey, we can end up 
middle of the pack, right? That's what they did in 2021. We can end up 10th. We can have some good performances. We can get some guys hype. And then as Dante said earlier, as soon as you have a good season, all of a sudden you become desirable to come to. So that's where Paris needs to build off of. Yes, they're not the best team right now. Well, they but... also need money. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's the I thing. That's the budget in the room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But at least if, if you want to invest after a good season, you can invest reasonably. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the key. It's very hard to build the momentum, though, like you're saying. If they can if they can believe in that dream of, like, making to the middle of the pack, that'll be awesome for them. Yeah. Yeah. Godspeed. So, I mean, they still don't have an assistant coach announced. And I'm, I'm even questioning if this team will even have an assistant coach, which is not great for your competitive, uh, you know, viability. But, and again, like I brought up Vegas Eternal several times on this podcast, and I'm not doing it to, you know, single them out and bag on them, but it's sort of to riff on what Dante mentioned about, you know, some of the former Outlaws rosters that it's like, it is so hard to get out of that losing mentality and that losing environment. And so, if anything... I acknowledge that the players on Vegas Eternal, individually, they can be great. They can absolutely fit on some of these Overwatch League teams. But the decision to run it back this season, I'm more just emphasizing how difficult it is for these players to actually be successful, you know, going from the last season's environment into this next one. So it's a very Did intriguing Did they bring on any, any fresh blood, any new players? Uh, they brought in Volkan, the who played with them in, in Contenders. Uh, yeah, yeah. In the in the Jotes meta, because I think Kravi originally was like of an opponent finals team or something, but Vulcan was the original tank for this team, oh, and yeah. then they changed up the coaching staff, so they got Empress joining them from Contenders as well. So they moved from yeah. two coaches to to just Empress <laughs> for now. It'd be, it'd be okay. It just doesn't feel like enough of a shakeup after getting slaughtered. Like you want a bigger shakeup. You want a shakeup. If I'm if I'm, if I'm yeah. the players on the team, I want more exciting new players you want the mental like, uh, reset to some degree yeah and and having the more fresh blood you have even if they were like the same skill it just feels like fresh and new and then people there's like the players who didn't experience getting absolutely slaughtered and so maybe they're like more ready to like fight exactly, keep yeah. the fight going for longer when times are hard where like you're saying it's easy to slip back into old habits and feel uh like gonna go just like last season did yeah and as soon as you think that it's over yeah and like that is a hard thought to stave off very hard yeah all right, so we've been going at it for over two hours, and it's been a fantastic episode, so thank you so much. But before we end, I kind of just want to end on, you know, going into 2023, unless Costa had anything else he wanted to talk about. Oh, but just, you, you know, you know, Dante, of course, joining the Gladiators, we kind of, you know, been, been, been through that a little bit. And, um, but so, you know, I'm excited to join LA, and we'll go eat oysters or something. I don't fucking know. Let's but, go. <laughs> but, but, Jake, we haven't really talked about you, because this was your first year coaching uh, at... No, was 2021 too? Yeah, last year or the year before last year, I was basically coaching and just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect to play as much as I did in the end. I was like, <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, it's a player. My, guys, my dream was to fucking play Junkrat on Temple of Anubis. That was going to be such a chill season. I'm like, you know what? It's Temple of Anubis. It's my time to shine. Temple of Anubis is gone. I did my work, boys. I did my work. I'm out of here. Like that was going to be the dream season. Then I had to play. Yeah, poor but, Juby. But, what, yeah, what, what but I suppose he was coaching. Yeah, uh, but but let's actually talk about that then, because like, how how actually was it going from you know pro player to talent to coaching? Like, did you enjoy your time coaching? Can you see yourself doing more coaching in the future? And like, what were some of the big highlights of your coaching career? Like something that like really you enjoyed doing in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think coaching was super rewarding this season. Um, it was really felt great to have spent like a few years learning Korean. And then this was the year that I was finally ready, I think, to like build real relationships with the Korean players, like with my language ability. 
I'm, I'm still like far from like fluent, like truly fluent, but I was at the level where I became like friends with the Korean guys, which like, like, you know, in a way it's like very, it's hard to do without like, because I was able to, to, to cross the language barrier to an extent. And I think that, I think that's, for me, that's super important to my coaching. My philosophy of coaching is I want to have personal relationships with all the players. I want them to all like trust me and I want to, I want to understand them and I want them to talk with me. I want to hear what they have to say. You know, it's like, I don't want to, I'm not like a tyrant style coach. I don't, don't want to like control everything. I want to like, just like keeping, like giving the players new, new things to experiment with. And, and they're the ones who really find the best way to use the tool. I can just like kind of keep giving them new ideas and feeding them like that. And so for me to be able to work in that way with the Korean players was super rewarding and satisfying, especially having spent years studying Korean, which at many times felt like, Oh, I'm so, so frustrated, so hard. Like I'm struggling so much. Um, and I started that like the year I was talent. So to have that kind of pay off after years, was like a hugely satisfying to get a good result in the end. Um, was super satisfying. It's like the best result of my competitive career. Um, so yeah, I'm super happy with the way the year went. I, I really did like coaching. I think, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but so the, the main reason why I'm like quitting the outlaws and, and moving back to California is that uh, my dad has Parkinson's disease. So I want to like be closer to home and like be able to help my, my family, especially my mom who like helps out a lot with that. Um, but she's you know working full time too. So I want to be closer to home and just like yeah, I've sure. come to yeah. realize there's something in life that matters more to me than like the game, which is, is a good feeling in the end, even though it's kind of like a sad feeling in a way, like of, um, you know, moving on, then yeah, I want to be back in California. But I think within California and being closer to home, I don't know what, what I want to like. I'm open to doing anything, honestly. Um, I think my, my goal is to like do talent work again next year. But we'll see. You know, I don't have any control over like whether that actually happens or not. So in the end, um, my ultimate backup plan is just to like, I'm, I'm like two classes from finishing college. Um, and I've always wanted to get my MBA. So maybe I'll finish my bachelor's. So you're joining a collegiate team is what you're saying. No, I think you're going to be a player yeah. coach from Maryville and you're going to bench yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I want to be in California. That's really important to me. That's like, number one is like the family stuff. So in the end, if that means I have to move on from esports, then maybe that's what I'll end up doing, like just doing something totally different with my life. I've always kind of kept that plan in my mind, I guess, the possibility of just doing something totally unrelated with my life. But who knows if I have the opportunity to keep working in esports and 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 staying in esports, I'll, I'll probably take it. Um, but yeah, I'm open minded. I think for me, what I've come to is that I just I'm not making decisions for like my career anymore. I'm like focused on family. Like intangibles in that way. Yeah. It's sort yeah. of sad we're all getting to that part of well, not sad. We're all getting to that point of our lives, right? Maybe not you, Dante. You're still you I know, still got the grind. Yeah, it's good. It's good. As long as you have the energy to do it, you should keep doing it. Cause yeah, realistically, absolutely. you're making money that like it's very hard to make at this age for like basically any career. Like it's uh, super good for your financial future. Do so I you have make it last as long as you can, yeah. and then it's never too late to like go to college and <laughs> Like do it and do what I'm considering doing, which is like just moving out of my life, doing something totally different. You know, if you just play for like a decade or something, you make a ton of money. You can still move on with your life and do something different as long as you have that confidence in yourself. Which I think, to be fair, pro gaming is a great thing for building that because if you really think about it, I think pro gaming is like one of the most competitive things in the world because this, the game changes all the time. So it, there's no, there's never an opportunity to Grind take your foot off the gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah like whereas actually. even in like most traditional sports and stuff the game is like you know the game so if you've been playing for a decade you can take a little time off i mean you'll be okay if you take like a month off but pro gaming is like no 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 no. you need to like stay at the cutting edge because it's always changing and, and moving on so 
I think if you can do succeed in that environment and you have that grind mindset of like putting in the work, you can basically do anything with your life in terms of like, you could succeed in college, you could succeed in like business, you could succeed in, in like basically anything because in the end, I think hard work and that, that learning mindset, the growth mindset is like the most important thing. So I think keep, keep the grind as long as you got the energy, don't they? Like YOLO. Yeah. You'll, you'll know when you lose it, right? Like it, it comes. Yeah. Let's yeah. just get in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's but, but that's the thing when it comes, it comes, but you know, like it's no harm and like you won't regret playing one more season ever. If yeah. you play one more season, you'd be like, you'll know for sure after the season, you're like, oh yeah, I'm not doing it again. That's what you call it, right? But, <laughs> but as long as you like, maybe I should play another season, you should play another that's yeah, I mean, I mean, Super was literally just like, oh, I'll play another season. And then like a April comes and Super was like, nope, I can't do it. Sorry, guys, I'm out. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. collusion, you know, and Mikey, just have fun. Yeah. Um, uh, wait, I have a question actually, Jake, because you're yeah. like one of the most unique people who can actually answer this question. Out of being talent, being a coach and being a player, what was the hardest thing that you had to do? Because being a player, I wouldn't say is always the hardest. It's, you know, it could be strenuous, but like, what was the most difficult and like, I guess... The one that you said was the biggest uphill battle. I think the challenges are different. Okay, one, I'll say talent is the easiest. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I would say the same way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very chill. Very yeah. It's more. It's more of like a, a balanced lifestyle. Whereas I think so. The the stressful thing about being a player is it's like it's all on you. But in the end, that can be freeing. It depends on your personality. I'm the type of person where like I, I like the pressure of like the match. Like even if we've been having a hard time in scrims. I know I'm like a match player. I know I can go into any match and like believe in myself, even though it's like the odds are so stacked against us. Even if we're like getting destroyed in scrims, I'm going to give 110% in the match until the very end. I'm going to like fight it out until it's like actually over and we lost, you know, or, or we won. Like I'm just going to like, that's who I am. And like, I, I love that in a way. So no matter how bad things are, I can always give 110%. Whereas being a coach, the challenge is like, I read this uh, to, to a relevant tangent here. So I read the study that like, if you look at like the air force pilots who fly like the the bomber missions where there's like two pilots and one of them is like flying the plane and the other one's like dropping bombs or whatever i don't actually know what they're doing but there's one person who's actually flying so when they do the landings on aircraft carriers like super risky dangerous thing you have to be like an expert pilot the the person people with more likely to get like stress disorders from that are the people who are not flying who are like yeah. the pilot or the co-pilot but we're sitting <laughs> in the back and just you're just watching your life is completely in somebody else's hands you have to completely trust them and like give everything it's like that is super stressful so that's the coaching challenge of like yeah. you don't have any power once the game starts it's like it's on the guys you have to you just hope the best for them so that's super stressful i kind of feel but, that um like as a player um I'm, I'm never stressed like during the match like during the match is like all good feeling but before the match or like a or not after but like more so before the match is when you feel the stress like the night before, like oh fuck, we have a really good match tomorrow, or like a really good team tomorrow. We haven't been doing that well. Like it's stressful. But then as soon as like the map starts, you're like, okay, like I'm like locked in. Like you're you're feeling good. You're not really stressed. I I would even say it relates to talent to some degree because you know in this case, like you know when we look at Overwatch not being able to be played in China, and then you get us a GM podcast with GMs, and they're like, oh, there's no revenue in this. I'm I'm the I'm the bomber. I'm the guy in the back, just like please land the Overwatch League plane. Please make this work so I can talk about Overwatch for a living. So you know, I'm, I'm I just want to talk about Overwatch and everyone else. Please land the Overwatch League plane and make it work uh, to some degree, so I don't have to look for another job. Um, Jake, when it comes to your talent career, how how in are you on on being talent? We'll we'll see what happens with Overwatch because I'm in the same boat as you. Like we we're not 
quite there yet but like i saw you play some apex on stream the other day like would you commit to like fully fledged doing broadcast talent work for other games if that opportunity opened itself like learning valorant learning apex counter-strike insert whatever title you you think yeah, yeah, I think I've been thinking about it a lot, obviously. So my current game plan is basically that this next year is be like a, a bellwether year in a way. So we'll see if the town opportunities are there. A and I know it's kind of a year. bad time. Right. And, well, I mean, what I mean by that is an is a, is a opportunity to determine my future and decide what path I'll take. All right. Um, for, for, Never heard uh, of that before, but yeah, yeah go on. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's, a, it's Yeah, okay, it's fine. Um, uh, so yeah, so it, it'll be a determinant basically of my future. So And it's kind of a bad time to do it, I guess, with the way esports is going with you know interest rates being so high reduction in venture capital investment and, and esports is primarily a venture capital like high risk investment um so obviously it's like a bad thing for esports so market conditions basically are not favoring us which i've used my three years of economics to determine market <laughs> conditions are i think a recession is coming guys <laughs> yeah, reading, reading the wall street journal every day is really useful for me but <laughs> being able to tell that that uh, it's not too good for esports these days but we'll see so if, if the opportunities are there then i'll stick with it and i'll keep going but if they're not i mean I have the financial cushion to like take a year to see how it goes. And if this year is looking really bad, then I'll probably just go to college this year and finish it out. Um, but if this year is okay, it'll, it'll sort of depend. If this year is great, then I'll stay in esports for a long time. If this year is average, it'll be hard to know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do like less work and I'll maybe I'll go to college and, and try and do some freelance work on the side, streaming on the side, something like that. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how this year goes in the way. But I mean, I, I love esports in a way. Like gaming's my passion. I'd love to be able to be on talent. The most simple thing is to be talent for Overwatch League. So if that happens, then yeah, for sure, I'd be happy to be here. But um, don't know. And I have to price in the risk that it doesn't happen, like you said, since we're not there yet. So that's why I'm thinking about all these other opportunities. Like I've always wanted, like since I was a kid, actually, to get my my MBA. Um, just because I really I'm interested in business, interested in finance, and well, finance wrong word. Uh, really, just business management. And I'm really I think like I could succeed in other careers besides esports. And so if this year is like really bad and it seems like that's the better direction to take my life, I might just leave the public eye completely, uh, which to be honest for me, like I kind of, I almost look forward to that in a way. I, I don't like the public aspect of, of this career and the nature of esports as entertainment. It's very public. It's all about like brand and personality, um, which I understand well. And I feel like I can operate well in that environment. I can succeed in that environment, but I actually, what I really love is like playing video games by myself. <laughs> that's what i really love that's like, i love that's games vibe, yeah. i love <laughs> i love i love just playing games i love figuring them out that's why i became a pro player is because i really love just like mastering games and figuring them out um and then like being a streamer and being a and being like a team leader in a strat car those are all like means to an end to succeed more and more but i realized you know in the end i just gaming's a passion since i was a kid so i'd, I'd love to be able to stay in the industry um but we'll see otherwise i'll 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 move on with my life and maybe I'll work. One of the things I'm passionate about is like clean energy. I'd love to get like an MBA or, or maybe an environmental science master's or something like that. And All right. Yeah. Industry. That's what I studied at high school. I, I hated it. That was awful. So good luck. Enjoy it. <laughs> big uh, sell there, Johnny. Yeah. Big sell there. <laughs> at least I'll finish my, I'm almost at my bachelor's. That's the thing. I dropped out after three years of college. So it's very easy to finish my, my bachelor's. Very like low yeah. lift. Take like six months. So the, the lore was that I grew up like literally right next to a power plant and a nuclear power plant. And the people who operated the nuclear power plant, they were just like, oh, it's so chill. We just check the values of the power plant. And then we go sit to watch, watch movies. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. You guys going pay a good salary to just monitor the values of the power plant because it's running by itself so i i tried to study for that and then it was like when they talked about breaking down you know 
fucking chemicals. I was just like, I know, sorry, I'm, I'm just like, I'm out. I'm sorry, guys. This is this ain't for me, and I just turned it to esports instead. Uh, all right, before we go, Dante, what what are you doing in five years? What is Dante doing in five years? I don't know. It just depends. Um, it depends on how long I'm a pro player for. It depends on if like Overwatch is popping. Um, I might just stream right after. Um, if that seems like a good option, I might do collegiate. Um, uh, it just depends on. <laughs> Dante to collegiate. Here we looking. go. Yeah, it'd be pretty chill. Go I think it's a college. Great uh, a lot of players. Like if you're if you're not wanting to like compete at like the peak of the pro level, but you're still like a monster player, just go like if you can get like a full ride to college and like straight like, up, yeah. Like that's yeah. such a good deal. I mean, yeah. right? We that's mean, like a great transition for the next yeah. feature of your life. I mean, I, I'm a very big proponent of collegiate. I think it's like really good. It's even better for people in like you know Dante's position. Let's say after five more years of playing. <laughs> then then which you know this might be we'll, we'll see Dante. Maybe, maybe you got five more years of pro play in you but uh i think it's three max actually yeah. yeah i could do three i could do three you never know you never know so this year, keep it open two more years. yeah maybe yeah, yeah. Okay. i, I want to i want to have the chill year i want to have the fucking bench year there you just like ride the, the bench, bench. <laughs> you just made that don't exist anymore sign you people aren't gonna remember this in two years all right. all right. i just want to be that guy you know get paid an okay salary not hog all the money but like just chill <laughs> show up be like, oh yeah that, I, I can help you guys out like well, what's the issue here just chill <laughs> on the bench help the team out bring the vibes up Clock in my nine to five and go home. <laughs> I feel like that would be way easier as a damage player than a tank player, though. But you know, I, I wish you the best of luck, Dante. That is aspirational. <laughs> it, it can't be any team either. It needs to be a good location, so you live in a chill city. Oh, that's like true. LA. Yeah. So maybe the Los Angeles Valiant will yeah, come back to LA, Dante, and that's well, where you can maybe. go. That would be truly a legendary return. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, Dante benched on the LA Valiant. I wonder who they'll sign to actually. Who they'll actually like play that spot instead? Yeah, 2026. Yeah, that that's fucking funny. All right, it, this has been an incredible episode. Uh, before we go though, people are asking about the World Cup because the World Cup details were announced actually, um, and I'm sure Dante and Jake to some degree are going to be interested in you know vying for the United States of America. I don't know about Costa, what he's doing with Australia, but uh, there was actually some drama because a, a few. A few, a, few, yeah. hey, <laughs> a few countries were actually uh, left out, it seems like, from, from the group stage. Um, Denmark being one of them, because Denmark, obviously, you know, they have some skilled players, especially in contenders. You know, they have Shaxx, Kellex, uh, Doge, etc. Don't, don't so. they do it by, like, some, like, like the average MMR of, like, the top 100 players or something? They've like, changed it up that, again. I don't know I don't what know. this that's is. That's how they did it one year. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I think that's kind of a reasonable way to do it, but... Yeah, maybe it's just have a truly open qualifier, and like any team can register. Like, who cares? Like, they have a wild card now. Yeah, they have a four-team wild card. Oh, they do. Oh, yeah. I think that was added recently because I I remember when it was first rumored and people were like, "Oh, these countries aren't going to make it." Everyone was really upset. So I believe they've added a wild card. So like, if you are like you know a Finland or a Denmark who didn't make the cut, who theoretically should have very good rosters, like they'll be able to make their way through it. Yeah. Uh, shockwave as well yeah so uh that obviously got announced but i think we'll actually save that for next week's episode because we've already been live for a long time here and um you know i'm, I'm very grateful that dante and jake stopped by now it is a bit awkward because we never do guest episodes uh but we do have one mandatory segment which is brent's player of the week and we have to do it but even though this doesn't make sense dante and jake who, who is brent's player of the week in your eyes <laughs> brent's player of the week 
anyone in the Overwatch community or anyone in the world. It doesn't have to be Overwatch. Not the scientific anyone, community. <laughs> who has been the one person that stood out? It doesn't even have to be a person. I don't know. Something that stood out this past week to you guys. Didn't Corey play like a Valorant tournament last week? I'm sure, let's listen to Corey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Corey. Corey, dude. Corey. Yeah, let's Pop go, Corey. Corey. I haven't watched it at all, but I'm sure yeah, Corey popped off. Corey's Wait, a pop-off player. Is, is Corey one of the few, like, of like, what's the, it's VCT, right? Is, is VCT like the actual, like, pro pro tournament Valorant? I don't think Corey's or, in the proper, I don't think he made VCT, because I don't think TSM like, got a bid. No, no, no. Oh, no, TSM's not in? Oh, no, there's yeah. like, um, actually, um, my roommate right now, um, Ascension, I think it's called. So the guard has like, um, the Valorant head coach is my roommate right now, temporarily, um, until he finds an apartment, and I was talking to him about it, he said there, there's not many teams in like the VCT, and like, there's like a lot of really good teams outside of it, and like yeah. all of them are like competing for like the spot or whatever, where you like, get in um like the relegation system or whatever but yeah, apparently there's like a lot of crazy talent that's like not in it so it's like not like overwatch league like overwatch league is like all the good talent was an owl yeah and there was like yeah. still some bad talent but like Valorant is like way different i guess ironically uh, i think the Corey, guard is actually like the beast one of the best uh yeah they just won i was like oh shit nice congrats yeah yeah they they won the ludwig uh Tarek invitational tournament yeah they're so, doing cool. uh, i think that's such a great event like like to have that was like, cool a totally, yeah, yeah different type of event i think that's we, super cool for esports that that's like what esports should be about in my view like that's like yeah. the, the the most successful way to, to operate good vibes well yeah. we'll get the we'll get the world cup trials instead so maybe we can have a couch stream for that we'll, we'll figure it out we'll figure yeah, it out let's go come over to my place when i move to la yeah, i gotta yeah. pack up these boxes yeah. world cup at jake's place okay you <laughs> <want to laughs> <Jake's> place. <laughs> let's do a couch stream at my place i'm gonna get a couch next year that's my goal all right. <laughs> okay all right that's an aspirational goal and then you can go finish your degree on nuclear or clean environment <laughs> okay, degree, not, yeah. nuclear. <laughs> not nuclear but clean environment you know sure, sure, sure. you know one step at a time first the couch and then the the degree yeah in environmental yeah. science yeah sounds good one two just like that yeah one two one two all right thank you so much guys for uh being on this week's episode uh yeah. jake you're doing a stream with spilo is it tomorrow or is it uh no it's in about 10 minutes so it's about 10 um, minutes about okay great. send him my apologies because he wanted to do an interview with me like two months ago and i said sure three times and then it never happened and i go i think i did so. the same thing with him and we're yeah. just finally getting around to it so don't feel yeah, bad so I feel bad <laughs> and also i didn't know we were doing that today so instead i stole you for the patch at first no so. no it's all good it's it, the schedule worked out perfectly the schedule worked out perfectly all right enjoy that thank you so much guys and we'll see you next week for another episode of patch Chat. Yeah, thanks for having us.